0: companion. This is episode 105. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar I'm Stephen Embry. And Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, uh, whatever your holiday of choice. Uh, I hope it's the best one you've ever had. Um, uh, longtime listeners of our show will recognize that for our annual holiday episode, we just talk about <laughs> kind of whatever <laughs> we want. This will not be our traditional reviews episode. Uh, if you are Uh, interested in purely those, I totally respect that. We will be back uh, in, gosh, I guess we haven't set it on our schedule, either two or three weeks uh, with the next episode, uh, like usual. But for today, we hope you will join us as we talk about a myriad of topics. First thing we are going to talk about is the, the new and final Hobbit movie, Battle of the Five Armies. I realize it just came out. So, you may not have seen it yet, listening to our podcast. We're only going to talk about it for, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, So, we are going to do some spoilers with it. So, you know, if you don't want to hear those spoilers, just skip ahead. I'll put it in the show notes so you know how far to skip. But if you skip 20 minutes, you'll be good. But check the show notes and you'll see how far to go. So, spoiler warning, we're definitely going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it uh, as if you've seen it. Update. Please jump ahead to the 26 minute and 35 second mark to skip the Hobbit discussion. All right, guys. So we've all seen the Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies. That's officially what it's called, right? Battle of the Five Armies? Mm -hmm, mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Well, first of all, so the last two years, we've talked about the Hobbit. Um, What format did you guys see it in? I saw it
2: at the IMAX Theater. I believe it was 24.
3: 24 3D. I, 3D. I saw it, IMAX 3D full-on Peter Jackson crap vision, <laughs> HFR, yeah. HFR,
0: high frame rate, yeah. Um, I think uh, James Cameron finally announced that he's... I was worried he was going to do those Avatar sequels at um, 60 frames a second. And that would have really, really... I would not have liked that, but he, I think he's announced it's just going to be 48. The beauty of 48 is if you don't like it, they just... You know, if they cut out every other frame, it's a nice clean 24 frames a second like we're used to. Uh, So if you don't like HFR, you can easily still see it at 24 frames a second as long as they shot it at 48. I also saw it in 48. Um, I still don't like it. (laughs) I guess I've gotten slightly more used to it, but overall, I still don't like it. Uh, It still makes the whole movie look fake. It looks, it's too realistic. Everything, everything looks fake. Everything looks like sets and all that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to waste too much time complaining about that again because those thoughts are the same ones I've had the last two years. It was an interesting experiment. I'm glad that I saw it that way. I'll probably see it one more time on screen and I will not see it. Uh, 3D HFR. Heck, I might not even see it in 3D. So, we'll get the tech stuff out of the way.
2: I did see it at 24. It looked very nice, very enjoyable.
0: Yeah. Um... (laughs) Well, I, I so I saw it on IMAX. Uh, I didn't want to. As a general rule, I'd um, you know I'd rather see. It. I only want to see stuff on IMAX if there were portions of it that were shot on IMAX. Uh, of course, this movie was that was not the case. Unfortunately, this year, unlike the last two years, at least here in LA, if you wanted to see HFR, your only choice was IMAX. The last two years, that wasn't the case. You could see HFR uh, 3D at the amc i normally am not much of an amc fan in la maybe there's something we could talk about later but in la there's there there are options i prefer except for 3d that's the one thing because I, I don't like the active shutter stuff i only like the passive you know um and most of the theaters in la you know, the pacific and the arc light um they they do that active shutter thing and it gives me a headache so i don't like that so my only choice for 3d normally i go to the arc light for 3d i go to the amc um, and then all the amcs if you wanted to see hfr 3d um if you wanted to see hfr your only choice was the imax 3d so i i did go to an imax anyway um you know the same tech comments it, it did look it, there were freak, there were many times, like especially some of the wider shots, where the image almost seemed like it was breaking up to me. You know, there were like little bitty imperfect, like little bitty aliasing things and stuff like that. But uh, nobody cares about that but me. So the content of the thing, I'll I'll start off by saying my personal overall impressions were I liked it more than Unexpected Journey, but less than what was last year's called. <laughs> Desolation of Smaug. Right. I, I liked, I think my favorite is Desolation of Smaug. I, I think my favorite of these three Hobbit films is number two, but I thought three was, was solid. Um, I, I think it's a little bit weird. Like, you know, this is something we can get into, but I'm not sure this movie, I'm not sure this movie stands up on its own. Like, you know, you, you have to have watched the other ones, you know, like,
3: mm-hmm. would you ever watch this movie just by itself? No that's it, yeah i that's that's what I came out of it with too number one I agree I liked it better I like it better than one but not as well as the second one and uh and I and I do th- that i in fact I mentioned that to the people I went to see it with that you know it it feels a little um I'm not to say this is a bad bad thing in and of itself, but it just feels so episodic. You know, you, like you come out of it, and it's just like, oh, this is good, but you got to kind of like binge watch it like a TV series or something. It felt like I'm watching episodic television, really, more than more than a film I, per se. You know, I
0: did not feel that way um, on the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Right. Maybe the second one. Maybe you yeah. could say the second one didn't really stand, but certainly the first. Lord of the Rings stood uh, on its own, and mm-hmm. I think the third one did too. Return of the King did too, um, but but these, especially this this third one, even more than the first two Hobbit films, um, well, uh, it it doesn't it doesn't stand on its own, and it, it that makes it feel a little bit weird. Yeah, so I agree. It's almost like you know it's it's hard to it's hard to judge it without the other two. Um, I guess overall, I still feel it would have been. You know, I think he could have made two movies that were better than the three, and probably he could have made just one three-hour movie out of these three movies that was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that's something Caesar, you've you've disagreed pretty heartily about the last couple of years. Like you like these the longer versions and stuff. Do you still feel that way? Do you, how do you feel about the, the concept that it stands on its whether or not it stands on its own, and if does it feel like they kind of elongated it just so they could have three movies?
2: Well, it certainly benefited us. We're sitting here having a nice conversation about it. So, In that respect, I think we should all agree that there's good thing for three movies. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, a lot, I've, I've seen a lot of the complaints that there's nothing about it in the book, you know. And I'll make this argument to people who love books, who love reading the books, and then they go see the movie and they hate it. It's two different forms of art form. You're never going to have a book that's going to be – exactly the way a movie is and the books that are written after the movie's been made aren't exactly like the movie so you have to like take yourself out of that it's if you if you can't then you're not going to like the movie and you probably shouldn't even go see it um but i found it enjoyable um this is kind of a new way of making movies that we've seen in the last 10 or 15 years these these trilogies that really are like one movie all in one. It's like a three-act three play almost where we have, you know, one, two, and three. And this happened with Lord of the Rings. It's obviously with The Hobbit. We saw The Matrix, um, you know. So this is kind of, kind of a new thing that's still kind of going on with movie making. But I would agree with you that none of these movies probably would stand on their own.
0: Did you um, feel that way with Lord of the Rings?
2: Um, yeah, especially the third one. It probably would, it's a great movie, but it doesn't. It's not. You didn't complete, think
0: Return of, Return of the King stood on its own.
2: No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't stand on its own because it's part of a. It's part of a. To me, it's part of a whole movie. So I mean, yes, you can watch it by itself, but if you didn't have the first two movies, you couldn't have that movie. So mm-hmm. in that respect, I I don't think it can stand on its on its own because it's not separate from those two they're all the same to me well how
0: how should someone who wants to critique the film approach it then i mean you know we're talking about let's talk about hobbit three you know how how do you is that just something that well you almost a- have to
2: you almost have to critique it as a whole i mean yes we can talk about the aspects of this film but we have a conclusion now so we can talk about the whole movie and how it re- how each movie related to each other that's kind of how I feel about it it's just they're they're all one picture to me
3: hmm. well I think the lines are getting blurred a bit you know I mean it's we've we've we're in a, in a we're in an age now where you know a lot of television is respected more than a lot of film is mm-hmm. and this kind of so-called episodic,
0: age of television
3: yeah this episodic nature of things it's kind of bled over into movies a bit you know you, you, you could have a whole argument about which came first in a sense obviously sequels and movies that kind of thing have gone been going on ever since the beginning of film practically but we're in this age where it probably is true that there are a lot of these things that just don't really stand well on their own but i guess more to the point they're not intended to you know not no one intends people to go i mean obviously the the um Studios would love it to go, I don't care if you've seen the first two, go see the third one. Then go see the second. Who cares? But, you know, in reality, it's not really the expectation. The expectation is everyone goes sees go sees all of these and you see them in some kind of order and they have these festivals and leading up to it where you see the ones prior to it. And that's going on for mm-hmm. this. That's going on for Hunger Games. It's going, you know, all these things, you know. So, yeah.
2: Um, Harry Potter. I mean, yeah. there's a lot. I mean, you know, I would argue. Well, one of the, the downsides to it, this, though. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you know, I would argue that there's some Harry Potter films that could have not been made. I mean, but you get a diehard fan, they would not really disagree with me. And I would probably eventually agree with them too because it's part of the whole story. They're all one kind of movie. That's kind of, yeah, I think that we are in this period where there's there's not a lot of difference between television. There's not as much difference between television and film. It's, they're coming closer together. Well,
0: see, like Harry Potter is a good example. I think those every one of those... Oh, well obviously not the last two <laughs> but that those because those were splitting up on book but those those all stood on their own you know those books stood on their own i love those books and those films stood on their own you know here we're talking about multiple movies made out of one book you know so it's you know it's a stretch
3: um but i think a lot of it is kind of where this movie picks up i mean right off the bat that's the impression you get you know mm-hmm. from I mean, it's kind of like it, they might as well say last time on the Hobbit, you know, because yeah. we dash into well, that and, and you know. When and, you think about like uh, a, a,
0: a, a standard film structure, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's, it kind of feels like this movie doesn't have that structure. Like yeah, it's right. you're jumping into the the middle of the movie. at the I start. would agree with that. Yeah. I would agree with that. And I think I, that's what he did. I think
2: what he, t- he intended. I'm I'm thinking he was deliberate in doing that. I think that was in, his intention. Maybe just he didn't want any separation between at least the second and third film.
0: But like, you know, I, I went out of my way to not watch like the, the extended edition of the second one came out was that last month? I bought it the day it came out, but I have not watched it because I did not want to watch the other Hobbit movies anywhere near this one because it's important to me to to judge it on its own. Um, and I plan to watch watch the the first two extended and then go watch the third one, you know, probably next month. Um, so I will watch it as part of them, but I also wanted to watch it by itself. Um, um I guess we're spending a lot of time on this, but,
2: um, um, um Hibert, well, real quick, I kind of felt like just the film itself, since we're just talking about this film, I kind of thought it was darker than most, if not the darkest of the six films we've seen. Um, just because, you know, the nature of the ending, you know, um, the thing about Lord of the Rings, you know, you really only had one main character die in the whole film with as much fighting and war going on than it was in the first film. Um, And this one, you know, you have three pretty much main characters, at least two main characters die. So I thought that was kind of significant for this trilogy because we've never really seen that before. Hmm.
3: Well, I think it's hard to, it's hard with the way they approach this. So one, they're, they're taking one book separating into three. Then they, you know, and I understand why they did this. They try to kind of, uh, you know, frame it in a way to say, oh, yeah, I remember 10 years ago with The Lord of the Rings. Let's you know, start like that, Let's end it like that. All these kind of things, I think, kind of cripple it a bit in, in a way. You know, you, you're you you're forced into this. If they're just like, OK, if we're going to do it this way, you're kind of forced into it. So you're and unlike The Lord of the Rings films, which are each their own book. So if you kind of loosely, it, it, you know, yeah, there's stuff in the book that are in the movies. But if you based on those books, those books are designed to be a book. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. not like it's this is just, you kind of artificially have to decide where are you stopping and starting and doing this kind of thing. And so all these factors together just make it probably really hard to make three good films out of one book like this. I don't know. It's just tricky. Well,
0: you know, all, all this said there, there's plenty of stuff that I liked in this movie. Um, especially kind of the, the last half or so, uh, Kind of, i guess I had the same thoughts in the second one um Lego loss is such a, a badass yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's really cool that sequence um that sequence when he's fighting the mm-hmm. I don't know the second kind of lead baddie, and he's he's the the bridge thingy that he creates <laughs> you know yeah yeah, uh, yeah with that troll it and he's like leaping from one section to another as it's collapsing and stuff it is really cool and the effects work of course is 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 yeah. perfect mm-hmm. um yeah so he's really cool you know and you talk about the differences with the book you know like like that Tariel you know character I mean she's not in the book at all right
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, I, I liked her a lot um, I don't think Legolas isn't in no, the book no he's not in the book either
3: no oh he's not he's not oh well he's not okay
0: he's not in the Hobbit okay um, yeah I mean I, you know I like I like her a lot mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I yeah. haven't read that book since I was a little kid right, yeah, right. same here um So there's 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 plenty of stuff to like in it, and I do appreciate. You know, we're talking about this this difference of trying to judge it on its own versus part of this whole. You know, there's two levels to that. There is this is the third film of these Hobbit of this Hobbit trilogy, but it's also the third film of this six part thing. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, and by virtue of having been made by so many of the same people, you know written by the same, mostly the same people, directed by the same guy, even the same person doing the music and stuff, you know, there is a continuity in tone, mm-hmm. I think, that holds over in a way that, that like the books would, uh, but in a way that most of the time you don't have, I don't know, uh, Star Wars. I know I'm like one of the few people on planet Earth that enjoys watching the prequels, Um but you know i think it's it's a stretch when you watch like the original star wars trilogy along with the prequels um there was just too much time and too much technology change and and too many things are different even though it's supposed to be part of the same story they really do feel miles apart um and that's probably more normal than not uh but here i do like i do really enjoy um these Hobbit films for the way that they are connected tonally to even the Lord of the Rings movies. You know, I could see myself not anytime soon, maybe in a year when the extended version of this one comes out, actually, you know, trying to watch them all either in a day or over a weekend or something. I think that, I think that they would (laughs) a season. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think they would hold, I think that would, that's going to hold up better than most six film things, you know, Mm -hmm.
3: Well, I think, I think so. I, th- I think that's true. I think you watch all these together and long and extended. If that's what you're going into it for, I think it's a different story. And I think that's why it's just kind of like its, it's, own, it's own thing in a way, you know? I mean, it's hard to say. Here's You're judging it as a film by itself. There's one kind of critique. But then if you watch all this stuff together, it's something different. But know? I
0: don't – like if you look at the, the, the Lord of the Rings films, I mean uh, Return of the King won the Oscar for Best Picture. I know is I know, it, oh, is I it know. like the it might is it the only fantasy movie that's ever won best picture sci-fi yeah. if you it that yes. yeah. fantasy, whatever you know that's that's pretty incredible was there any second in your mind watching any of these hobbit films where you thought hey this might get nominated for best no. picture of course no, not no no, no. Wait, wait we all think I'm,
2: I'm you had to know that going in. I think Peter Jackson knew that going in. It was never going to repeat the success of The Lord of the Rings. No, but, but I That's what they I, did it for.
0: It's not like it was a, a cheat. The Return of the King is an incredible film. Mm-hmm.
2: But some you know? could argue that Oscar was given to all three movies. I mean, you know, all no, three were I nominated. Wouldn't. I don't think so. Well, all of them were nominated. So, I mean, the first, second, and third, they were all nominated, and the third one won the Oscar. So you can make an mm-hmm. argument that that was for the whole thing. But
0: I I enjoyed watching this movie um, because I'm a fan of these movies. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what I'm getting at yeah. is I don't think this film or really any of the Hobbit movies, I don't think they step – I mean the people the people that are going to see this movie are going to like it. They're going to be satisfied. Right. Nobody yeah. that – Nobody's going to go see this movie that wouldn't wasn't already going to go see it. It's not, but I think that did happen with Return of the King. I think people that don't like Batman and would never go see a Batman movie went and saw The Dark Knight, mm-hmm. you know, because of the word of mouth and you know nominations and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think, you know, I don't think that's happening with The Hobbit. And the downside to that is, you know, when you talk about these movies that are made as part of a whole, you know, you have to have, you have to have. An audience of a certain size, you know, you have mm-hmm. to know that audience is there for them to make these kind of movies. Um, so what does that mean? That means one, we're limited, you know, because uh, they're not going to take any chances. It's going to cost too much money, you know. Um, and, and two, w- when the audience is predetermined, like the the that means. <sighs> Look at look at the the Star Trek movies is a good example. You know, all through the '80s, the original series films, they had, with the exception of the first one, they basically knew how much that money m- money that movie was going to make before they rolled cameras. Mm-hmm. Right. So based on that, they budgeted the thing. You know, um, now that's cool in the case of Lord of the Rings because they knew a lot of people were going to go see this, but it just means it's really, really hard to do anything new. Look at the movie that, you know, we're going to talk about this here in a little bit, but what movies are people most excited about next year? And I'm just as guilty of it. You know, when we go down that list, it's going to be, Super pre- films. you know, it's going to be pre-existing IP. It's going to be stuff, mm-hmm. you know, it's mostly going to be stuff we've all heard of. Yeah. Um, and so I know I'm a part of that problem. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm kind of getting off topic here but i so i guess we're all kind of uh seems like we all liked it but we don't for an um, for a second uh we wouldn't would we we wouldn't say for a second it's an amazing movie it's incredible oh my god we wouldn't say that
3: no it's just we liked it it's a good film you know it's what i expected you know it's yeah
0: i'm glad it was only like what 220 or something if that movie had been three hours
2: (laughs) yeah i mean um I think um, I think the one thing that I know is the difference between this one and say um, Return of the King is like the the wrap up and I know there's been complaints that the end <laughs> yeah. of Return of the oh, King is kind true, of just drags yeah. on and on and on. This one kind of wraps up pretty quick. Right, right, I'm ex- I'm expecting it to kind of drag on. That's what my expectation is because I'm yeah. like I've been through this before. Okay, we're gonna, but it pretty much ends fairly quickly.
0: There so. is
3: no sense to how long that first Hobbit film is. It's just nonsensical. You know, yeah. there's this, that one is the most guilty of that.
0: Yeah, and the only thing worse than that is the extended edition of it, <laughs> which is only like 10 minutes longer or something. It's not that much longer. It's not like the old ones, the original Lord of the Rings that are 30 or 40 minutes,
3: but it's still longer. Well, I, I hope the added footage is um, at the beginning and yeah, is it's, it's, uh, it's uh, home. Yeah, it's the dinner scene. Yeah. I think
0: the dinner Excellent. scene is even longer. The, the dinner scene in that movie is longer than some people's movies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, totally. if they're willing to
3: make the money, that could be the prequel to the prequel you know one movie by itself and <laughs> i think that was an snl skit a couple years ago was they were talking about all the different it was like part 25 you know and
2: they separated aren't there some books that he wrote that were even predated the hobbit or well there's yeah, kind of
0: series, it. you know but they Have we we'll ever seen those made well the problem is uh the Tolkien estate <laughs> they don't really like they don't want they don't like the movies they don't want the movies to be made basically okay. um, so i think they've they've pretty much you know they, they like had certain things they were allowed to use but a, most of it they weren't you know and i think that the relationship between mgm and the tolkien estate is is so damaged that it's certainly not going to happen anytime soon most people think it's never going to happen I don't, I don't know about that, but it's I mean, we're talking a long, long time away. You have to be so far away that people's minds just get totally changed, as they sometimes do. But that doesn't happen in six months or two years, you know. So, who knows?
3: Um, we're just talking of SNL, I don't know if you saw this or yes, The Hobbit. Oh, that's awesome. So, fans, fans, right. people that have seen the BBC Office, go check that out. You know, yeah, that's hilarious. You know, <laughs> it's it's really funny at first,
0: and then I and then I realized like every, every scene they did, it was pretty much a scene right out of the office. Yeah. do <laughs> anything different, I think maybe that would have been funnier, but I don't know in a way that was funny too, but yeah, that was, that was pretty great. I like that. Uh, you know, to me, the, the original, you know, uh, British office is probably the funniest television show in television history for me. Um, so it, was, it that was fun. Yeah. I wish they could have gotten like Ricky Gervais to do it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> great. Um, so, I mean, um, what did you guys think of the opening scene, the, the death of Smog? I was satisfied. You know, we talk
0: about the second one, which is probably our favorite. You know, for me, a lot of that was because he's the coolest dragon I've ever seen on screen. And he had some really cool stuff to do in the second movie. But in this one, he mostly just flew around a minute and died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Oh, uh, well, I did like his, you know, in the middle of the blaze, and he's, you know, basically telling um oh, the character's name. Sorry, forgive me. Um, that you know he's going to basically kill him and his son. Well, it was kind of dark yeah, it's and
0: dark is dark. Hmm. Did you guys watch the Colbert interview with him? <laughs> no, I didn't um, see it. Oh my it. God, it's hilarious. <laughs> he actually comes, and it's it's Cumberbatch doing the voice, right? Right. Nice. And- He's interviewing him. The funniest part is he's asking, Colbert asked him about the special effects and he goes, it's so tedious. You know, you're just in front of this green screen. I think we have a picture and, the, they, <laughs> and they show a picture <laughs> and he's sitting there with all this cast and crew, like
2: this fog And he's in front of a big green screen. And he's got like this headgear thing on. It's so funny. <laughs>
3: you got to watch it. It's hilarious. Cool. All
2: right, I'll check it out after. And of course
3: they make a Benedict Cumberbatch joke too. Yeah. Wow. All right. Um, um, Jim, hey,
2: real quick, did you guys get the Star Wars trailer?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did a we of at the top of it?
2: Yeah. Did you get the Star Wars trailer, oh, oh. Brian?
0: Yeah, and it just reminded me of how much I don't like post-converted 3D, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Uh, folks, we're gonna take a brief pause and then we're gonna come back with uh our buddy Trey and discuss our favorite films from the year. <laughs> And we're back with our good buddy, Trey Murphy. How are you doing, Trey? I am fantastic. How are you fellas doing?
1: We're, we're doing good, great. Man. Good, good. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you guys. Thanks again for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. Sure. I,
0: I think we had you on, was it two years ago for our holiday episode? I can't remember. I think so. I think so. I can't it's remember so- what we talked about. But today, uh, we are going to be talking about our favorite movies, of the year, maybe we'll throw some TV in there, and then uh, and uh, we'll talk about what maybe what's what we're most excited about for next year. So I don't know about you guys, but I've got my list. I narrowed it down to like my eight top favorites that I've. Seen. Of course, you know there there are plenty of movies I haven't seen this year, um, but of the movies that I have seen, I kind of nailed it down to my eight top favorites. Then I got a couple of honorable mentions, and then there's a few movies I wanted to mention that I was surprised they did not make my list. <laughs> So, um, um, Trey, why don't you, maybe we can each just mention one, and we'll talk about it for a second, and maybe uh, see, if if, see if it's on anyone else's list, and we'll just kind of do a roundtable. Trey is our special guest. Do you want to start first? What's one of your favorites?
1: Oh, sure. Well, I think, um, Brian, you know, the obvious one for me, one of them is, uh, man, I was really surprised I enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy as much as I did. Yes. Um, it's one of those, that uh, going into it, I, I knew it would be a good time, but I didn't realize it would be one that would sort of take me back to, uh, the way I felt when I was a kid, you know, going to the, to the theater to see a movie and just genuinely having a good time, Um mm-hmm. uh, with, without trying to nitpick, just having fun. It, it was a fun, fun movie.
0: Guardians works that's one of my two like honorable mentions. If I was going to have a ninth and tenth place, it was one of those two. Um, it, it it's great because it works on s- in so many ways. The, the first thing was for me, I, I've talked on, on our podcast before, like at the end of our podcast when I'm talking about whatever, you know, uh, I'm, I've almost got like superhero fatigue, you know, like especially with the Marvel films that they're they all they all feel the same, you know. I, I like I like them. They just all feel the same, and I'm kind of getting sick of them. You know, you've got the superhero. He goes through the same this the same exact structure, every single one of them. Uh, it's always about finding some special gizmo or gadget or thing or whatever that's going to destroy whatever, you know. Um, so I was starting to get, get sick of them, and then Guardians of the Galaxy just came out and changed it. You know, it was the first one that's changed it. Like I loved Iron Man. That was the first one of these, and then all the rest of the same. And now Guardians of the Galaxy was so different. So that was one thing. It was. It felt. It made. It felt so fresh. You know, right. Um And I think a lot of it too was there's there's all this nostalgia stuff. Yeah, the the '80s stuff for us especially. Um, the the, <laughs> the mixtape is great. You know, there's so many things about it that 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 it's weird because it's like this at the same time it feels so fresh yet so retro there's so much star wars in that movie it's nutty um so it's 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 weird that a movie can straddle that line so well and and yeah it's just fun it's just fun from start to finish chris pratt is like that's like the most perfect casting ever
1: <laughs> absolutely you know? and unexpected too and what oh unexpected it was unexpected. That yeah. His- in a role such as that, especially for anybody that's watched Parks and Recreation and seen him. Yeah. Uh, his yeah. character, yeah, it's, it's not what you'd expect
2: from him. Well, yeah. I've, I've, I haven't i have seen Parks and Recreation, but I kind of expected from, just from his film work, Um, he's been in a lot of comic type situations and then he's been able to do a little bit of drama. Was I, know, I heard that part of the reason he got this role physically was because of Zero Dark Thirty. He didn't have a big role in that movie, but Mm-hmm. He was buffed up as compared to like other movies where he's just kind of this quirky sidekick character. It's kind of most of the roles that I've seen him in in different movies. So I kind of felt like he could do it Going when I heard about the movie and him going into it. Um, I just wasn't sure how successful it would be based on how the cast and the movie would, would work until I saw it and, and really enjoyed the film too. Caesar, Steve,
0: you guys like so you guys liked it as much as we did? Hmm? Yeah, I did. I did like it a lot. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm structurally i would say it's the same as the other marvel movies brian but oh i did not Disney. feel that way i did not well how do you, I, well how do you not feel that way plot wise it's pretty much the same i mean you know there's well, an object you know, it's, yeah it's a got villain, the artifact thing yeah, same I mean,
0: planet but it felt more about like this the team and uh, there's the whole section at the beginning breaking out of the the prison and all that um there's a lot to it that felt pretty different um right. But I, I don't want to spend too much time on any one title, since I think we're all going to talk about a lot here. Uh, uh, who wants to go next? Caesar?
2: Um, I'll go with um, Interstellar. I really enjoyed that film. I know we talked about it a couple weeks ago. You guys didn't like it as much as the um, previous non-Batman films that um, Christopher Nolan has done, but um, I really enjoyed it. I, visually, I enjoyed it. I mean, I just you know we just talked about The Hobbit. I saw it at the same tham- same theater, and you know for all the hoopla with the Hobbit, with all that special, I enjoyed watching interstellar on the screen visually. It was so much more satisfying than the Hobbit.
0: Um, interstellar is a movie that like, I thought it was a good movie, but it would not make my list for the best movies of the year. Not a chance. Well, I, 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 <laughs> I, liked I, I liked it. I, I thought it was good.
2: I had to use it cause I haven't seen much this year, mm. Brian, <laughs> but <laughs> I, you I know, I, I
0: definitely season. liked it. Um, that that very first te- teaser trailer they put out for it that would that would be one of my favorite trailers from gosh what was that it, when if it, that first came out it was probably like a year ago or something mm-hmm. yeah Christmas um, there's there's a lot to like in it uh, it definitely does especially like the first half of the movie you know it does it does stuff with with time that I really don't think any movie has ever done before stuff that I've read in books but I've never seen on mm-hmm. film mm-hmm. and that stuff is really really cool you know so I I definitely liked it and I would recommend I would recommend it to most people. I just wouldn't put it in a list of top 10 of the year or anything.
3: Steve, Trey, what were you guys' thoughts on Interstellar? Um, Yeah, I kind of, I mean, I liked it fine. You know, it basically met my expectations. Um, Somehow I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't think it was going to be the best thing ever, um, but I thought it was going to be pretty good. And that's kind of what it was. And I, I agree with that. I agree with the, it was certainly interesting and had kind of a, a different take on things and some did some new things. Yeah.
1: Trey. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, uh, at least from the visual aspect, I thought it was fantastic. Um, and seeing it, uh, you know, one of the first 70 millimeter prints I've, I've seen, that was just, mm-hmm. such a great experience.
0: Yeah. Seeing it, seeing a movie that was shot on IMAX, on IMAX or 70 millimeter is just breathtaking, you know? there there's nothing every every second that, uh, that i was watching that i'm like this is the best image i can see on planet earth and i can i need to enjoy it while i'm sitting here because the second i walk out of this theater it's gone you know what i
1: mean
0: <laughs> as soon as they pull it away from the theater there's no way to go see that you can't see it that way anymore right god willing we all live to be 100 maybe we'll have like you know 8k tvs or something and there'll be an ak transfer <laughs> i don't know but yeah um <laughs> Well, okay, since we're all talking about the bigger Hollywood stuff, I'll mention the, the first movie on my list. These are not necessarily in any order, but I've got, like I said, maybe eight movies here. Uh, the first one I thought of was for, a I guess, yeah, the, for, this is the biggest budgeted, like, big studio thing on my list. Edge of Tomorrow, that mm-hmm. blew me away. Um, I walked out of that movie, you know, that was that was an early summer movie, May or June, I think it was June. But I walked out of that movie, and I wanted to immediately walk back in and watch it again. You know, it had everything that I want out of a big Hollywood blockbuster, but um, it was it was so entertaining, and the story felt kind of new. And I still love Tom Cruise. You know, uh, Brendan Gleeson. Um, oh, I feel so terrible. What's the what's the woman? Emily Blunt. Emily mm-hmm. Blunt was a bad mofo in that movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but so much of it. Everything about that movie is just—it's just a blast to watch. It's so much fun. Um, I was—I was—I I was saddened that more people did not see it. I wish they had kept mm-hmm. the title from the book. The book was called *All You Need Is Kill*, which is such mm-hmm. a cool title. Why would you tr- turn it into this generic *Edge of Tomorrow*? That I guess they realized when they Publicity. went to video. Yeah, I guess they realized that that was a mistake because yeah. <laughs> since it didn't do so well when they put it out in video. If you look at like the Blu-ray, it says like Edge of Tomorrow, Live Die Repeat
3: or something. Yeah, Live Die Repeat is much more prominent on Yeah, uh, which is yeah. not even
0: the name of the movie, yeah. but anyway, uh, you know, um I mean, I loved it. When I when that movie when that movie came out, it was my favorite movie of the year up to that point. I will as a side note, I will say Overall, maybe this is a little bit kind of a weak year. Usually, what happens for me most years, there's all there's one movie that I walk out of it. I'm like, oh my god, that's the best movie of the year. I'm not gonna, there's nothing this year that I'm going to like more than that. That happens pretty much every year, except this year that did not happen. Um, but you know, when Edge of Tomorrow came out, when I saw that, I was like, that's the best movie I've seen so far this year. I really loved it. Um, I, I I wish more people would see it. You know, listeners, if you haven't seen it. Trust me, it's worth it's worth a couple of years of time. Also if you like video games, it feels it's very much like a video game.
1: Mm-hmm. What were you gonna say, Trey? Uh, well, I think what sold me on actually going to check it out is I you know, I still like Tom Cruise. I I dig sci-fi, but Doug Lyman
0: yeah,
1: is really what, what got me to say, Okay, yeah, I will I will spend my money to go check this out on screen because I I love Doug Lyman. I think he's a fantastic director.
0: Well, I think he got hurt a little bit because like, you know, he started the Bourne movies. But when Greengrass took over with the second and the third ones, and Lyman was still a producer, but I think I think Greengrass took them especially the second I think he took them to kind of another level. And then maybe that kind of hurt the way people saw Doug Lyman. I don't know. Maybe I'm just making that up. But I I have a lot of respect for him. That's for darn sure. Um I really do. Okay. Um Steve, you haven't gone yet. Is there some Yeah
3: anything- I've I've got several. I don't really know which I was mentioned first. Um, Birdman. I really liked Birdman. That is on my list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, it's, I haven't seen anything quite like that in a long time. I mean, I guess it come, if you go back quite a ways and look at the output from a lot of other countries, perhaps, you you know, there's certainly a tradition of this kind of theater and what goes on, you know, on stage and backstage and all of that. So I'm kind of reminded of those things, but, um, and uh, I, li- I enjoy the notion of a resurgence of Michael Keaton actually doing something that he can, you know, you can say, <laughs> "Hey, look, he can do something worthwhile." And and you know, the uh, it's so unusual. There's nothing quite like this. And of course, it's yeah. it's filmed in this way where it makes you feel like it's just one long take. Of course, it's not, but it's that kind of vibe. And uh, the, it's such a psychological drama too. You know, I mean, and, and I think it also kind of make it it. Makes for um, it kind of um, that line between what's what's real and like what's documentary, what's fiction, what is life, what is acting, and I, I think it it makes all that so fuzzy, and you kind of come kind of to that realization that you know we all go around playing parts and playing roles, and I, I think it kind of brings all that to the surface, and I, I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, it's very meta in so many ways. Everything you're just saying, and then there's that idea too, like you know Michael Keaton did play this, yes, yeah, did play Batman, you know, 25 years ago. Um, but yeah, I, I loved it. I really did. I it was one of those movies where you got like a smile on your face the whole time you're watching it because <laughs> it's it feels so original. It, it never stops. Like you said, this this stuff they do with the camera, so it almost so it feels like it's one long shot. The performances are good. Like I don't really, I'm not much of an Ed, Edward Norton fan, but he's he's great in it. Um, what's her name? Stone? Is that her name? Emma, Emma Stone. Yeah. She's fantastic. I didn't realize that she was so good until I saw this. You know but Michael Keaton is he's great and there's like there's a scene in that movie uh there's several scenes in that movie where the char- characters are like by themselves but there's, there's a scene in that movie where he's 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 in like his dressing room and he's tearing it up and he's mm-hmm. talking to his like alter ego of himself and he's and you're like man this camera is there's no there's no editing cuz the camera's just is you know it must be some guy with a with a steady cam just walking back and forth in this little bitty room and he's and he, and, and he, it's just Michael Keaton for five minutes and it's amazing. You know, I mean, it's something you, you, you don't even think about it. You take it for granted, but 99.9% of planet earth tries to do that scene and you're going to be bored out of your mind watching it, mm-hmm. but you're not, you know, it's, it's really good. What I think is nutty is like, can you imagine, can you imagine some the passing Michael Keaton this script, say, Hey, read this. You know, like, <laughs> can you imagine reading that script? Be like, Oh my God, you, what are you smoking? Here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's really, it's really, really out there. And, and, the, and I think it, it feels like kind of a, almost like a feat, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a gimmick, I guess, but, um, but it, it, it's, it, it seems so incredibly well planned out, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's a feat that it works like it does start to finish.
1: Well and uh, what I really like about the, the feel of a continuous take is that it's almost as if you're watching an actual theatrical performance, a play. Mm-hmm. You know, it it's as if you're doing that. I I thought it was great. And and that was also in my, my top uh on top of my list.
0: Yeah, it, it, it gives it this feeling of simultaneously feeling like you're watching a play but then also half the time when it follows somebody around into some corner you you feel almost like a voyeur or something or Mm. like or it's like pov without being a pov i don't know um yeah i i i I really really like that movie uh and it's like that that was the whole score of that movie just some guy with some drums because that was amazing (laughs) yeah yeah. that's another thing um uh Trey, you got you got one, another one? Yeah, so that, that was also on my list of, of my top eight that Birdman was also on my list. Trey, you
1: got another one? I, I do. I'm just trying to decide what else to go with. Um and I you know, I like Snowpiercer. I I really enjoyed Snowpiercer quite a bit.
0: That's also on my list for the eight. My eight. What what did, what did you like about Snowpiercer?
1: I well it was one of those that um I think uh, after just coming out of the mind-numbing experience of the latest Transformers movie, <laughs> it felt like a, it felt like a breath of fresh air. You know, like hey, a summer movie can be action-packed and thought-provoking, and just stunning.
0: Mm-hmm. And I- you know what I liked most about Snowpiercer? There, there are just a, there are a few movies where I don't know. Let me think of another example: Highlander. Remember the Highlander? Mm-hmm. If somebody tells you, like sums up the story for the Highlander in like two sentences, you'd be like holy crap, I want to see that movie! <laughs> if somebody mm-hmm. tells you the plot, just the the general story for Snowpiercer, how do you not want to see that movie? That's amazing! That's incredible! Mm-hmm. Oh, it's whatever, I don't know, 100 years in the future, the whole world is, is snowed over, there's one train with humans left, that's it, and it has to keep moving or they die, And and you've got the workers and the upper class and the workers in the back of the train and they're just fighting their way to the front holy crap i want to see that movie that sounds amazing
3: and it it is it is amazing it's really really good and um, and, and I, yeah i think it's a kind of an achievement to make something that's fresh and fun and interesting that's also so blatantly about you know class and casts yeah. and stuff like that too when that kind of topic has been addressed so many times you know
0: uh, the other thing I have to it, no discussion of Snowpiercer is complete for me without talking about performance. Um, what's his name? Chris Evans. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think it's easy to take him for granted in almost everything. Um, he's really good, and he's perfect in that movie. He is so mm-hmm. good in that movie. I wish he, I wish he could do more. That reminds me, I saw some other movie with him. I don't, I don't think that one came out this year. What was the movie with that serial? With the, with the no, the mob killer that he was um, glad, glad, ah, well, he was really, really great. This is my point is, you know, it's easy to, you know, take for granted like Captain America kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. but he's really good in Snowpiercer. But you know, my favorite performance in Snowpiercer, Tilda Swinton is so (laughs) cool
3: in that Mm -hmm. movie. Oh my God. Yeah.
1: She's amazing. (laughs) She's awesome. (laughs) She's so much fun to watch. Every single scene she's in, you're you're watching her, no one else, regardless. Going on you're just watching her
0: and she leaves the scene and you want her to come back and because you want to see her more exactly. yeah, she, she is so lost in that show i mean she, she loses herself in that character too you know it's it's unlike anything i've ever seen her seen her do yeah i really i really dug snowpiercer snowpiercer is one of those ones too where you know it's good because i saw that one based purely from word of mouth Everybody was talking about how good it was, and usually when you go a couple of weeks hearing that, by the time you go to see it, it can't live up to it. But that movie did; it really did. Adam, did you see uh, Snowpiercer? I did not. I th- I want to say it's on Netflix now, maybe. So, yeah. Hey, Adam,
1: watch Snowpiercer. <laughs>
3: oh, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I missed it in theaters, but I did. Um, I get. I'm. I have Netflix Blu-ray too, so I actually can see it hmm. in decent quality, and I got that on. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, Adam, is there, so that, yes, that was also for me, that was in my, my list of my eight faves. Um, Adam, is there another one you'd like to mention?
2: Um, no, I'm good.
0: Okay. Um, hold on. I'm kind of keeping track here. Well, then I'll mention another, another one from my eight. Oh gosh. Which one? Um, whiplash. Mm. I loved Whiplash. When I saw Whiplash, that might have been another one that I thought, okay, this is this has got to be in like the top 2 or 3 for the year for me. I'm sure it if I was trying to make a you know, order these in my top 8 here, Whiplash would be in the top 2 or 3. Um Whiplash is it is so kinetic yeah. from start to finish. I can't you know, I, that was a movie that I was like on the edge of my seat the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and aside from, you know, my own personal history with uh, being a music student, um, I think that anybody could enjoy that movie on so many different levels. Uh, but this, with that story of the way we, the way we drive people, the way the way teachers drive students, um, but most interestingly, you know, uh, the way you drive yourself or don't. Mm-hmm. Um, that that movie is just a blast, uh, and it's so the the performances again really really good. I guess that's a recurring theme here. But um, the kid that plays the lead, uh, I can't remember his name now, but I know it if you said it. And then J.K. Simmons, who I've always loved J.K. Simmons, but you forget that he can really, really act, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and uh, I remember Whiplash is one of those movies that like I walked, I think I walked out of the theater and, and maybe emailed or texted you, Steve, to say, mm-hmm. to go see this movie. Yeah. Because you're going to
3: really like it. Um, and I also, did. Yeah. great music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, like you said, it's so kinetic and you're just like a charge. And it's one of the, like, I just couldn't stop talking about it afterwards, you know. I yeah, was, yeah. You just want to use
0: it sticks with you for days or weeks because it's
3: not you know there's the obvious stuff to talk about and then there's layers too you know so it's got that it, that kinetic that energy going on but it's also got you know okay yeah you know you talking talk about um like you said education the, the way people drive do the ends justify the means and then you kind of to me like it came down to it as like that notion of control the control over yourself the control over others in that battle you know and sometimes we don't even aren't even aware of that tug of war even you know it's 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 fascinating i love it
0: yeah he goes through those sequences the character where he's you know he kind of minor spoiler you know he 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 makes some changes to his life where he's you know uh isolating himself in a way because he wants to because he because he's driving himself this is the most important thing to me you know and then he gets to a point where he kind of abandons some of these things that, that were driving him and he kind of doesn't know what to do and, and he's kind of going around in circles and, and he, there's almost like this sense of regret, maybe and when he tries to go back to some of these old things they're not there for him anymore um, uh, Trey, did you see uh, Whiplash?
1: I did not, but that is that's actually one that's on the top of my list to uh, check out soon
0: I definitely, definitely recommend it. Um, Steve, do you have uh, another one?
3: I did want to mention – I've got several I could talk about, but um, I did want to mention uh, Dear White People. I'm not sure if any of you saw that. Um, It wasn't as heavily marketed as perhaps some of the others, but I thought it was very good. And it's one of those that's even harder to describe um, without talking to someone who's seen it as to why it is so good. It's one of these that – it has so much truth in it, and and I think – it's so timely as well. For me, it's one of those that, if um, years down the line, if someone wanted to ask where where does this country stand in race relations right now in 2014, it's like watch that movie. You know, it's huh. it sums things up in that way. And I think it's so timely given all the uh, everything that's been going on. You know, Ferguson and uh, and and such. And we've got the Selma movie coming out soon. You know, I think all this together is. I think it's bringing to light some things that, uh, you know, we've still got a ways to go and there's still some issues out there when maybe a lot of the population doesn't think there is in this regard, you know? So it's, I think it's, it's a very uh, culturally relevant thing. It's an important movie to see.
0: Well, you, you sold me on it. I remember you mentioned it to us recently. And by that point in time, I couldn't find it around LA, but I, I've seen that it's got a, a video release date for February, I think. So I'm definitely going to check that one out. Cool. Anybody else see Dear White People?
1: That's another one on the top of my list. I cool. haven't seen it either.
0: Uh, well, speaking of your list, Trey, is there anything,
1: another one you want to mention? You know, one that I really enjoyed was um, a cool little revenge flick called Blue Ruin. Yes. Um, I, I liked it quite a bit. I thought it was a great, just slow... Mm-hmm. Slow burn. Um that uh you you don't see very often anymore. A film that actually takes its time to to build this character to completely understand where um I I can't even describe it right now. But what I like so much about it. I just I like those slow burn movies that build to just an incredible climax and that's pretty much what it was.
0: Uh so that's Blue Ruin. I know it's a <laughs> um that that is one of my two honorable mentions with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy where if i was doing a 9 and a 10 Blue Ruin would be in there. And yeah, I'm with you. I really like those I like those kinds of stories, but I you know, the first I don't know, 10 minutes of the movie, it pretty much sets up, okay, this is what the movie's going to be. Here's the story, you know? And it's great, you know. It's really really good and it's a you know, it's a small-ish movie um that kind of lives and dies by uh, great performances and showing you kind of um, an environment like a part of this country the United States a little you know backwoodsy kind of thing that maybe we haven't seen very much in movies um, so it 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 feels oddly fresh even though it feels very very timeless that movie could have that movie could have been made 20 years ago pretty much the same you know and I think that's cool. You know, that tells you just how kind of universal the that story is. I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix now, too. So if you haven't seen Blue Ruin, um, check it out. It's very good.
1: When, and one of the things that I, I just really loved about it, going back to films from, you know, 20, 30 years ago, is that it succeeds in actually shocking you with these scenes of, of violence, where it's filmed today, yeah. you're... You know, it's from the get-go, like, oh, hey, here's a lot of people getting blown away, and, okay, I, I don't care now. Whereas this one, it, it builds through it, and it really just, it, it sucker-punches it. Well, I'm going to use that to
0: segue into another movie from my top eight that maybe is my favorite movie of the year. It's certainly in my top two or three. It might be my favorite movie of the year. Uh, the Guest. Um, the guest also kind of shocks you with some of its violence, but, um, the guest is a movie that came out in August, September. And when I saw that it was one of those ones where I walked out, I'm like, okay, that's the best movie I've seen so far this year. Um, it's, it's so engaging. Um, the, the lead in it is, his last name is Stevens. I think he was on Downton Abbey. Yeah, he was the blonde guy on *Downton Abbey* um, for a while. Um, he definitely shows that he is, you know, big film star material. Uh, but the guest is is I don't want to talk too much about the story because it would probably give some stuff away. But you know, most years my favorite movies are movies that that grab me in. In a very kind of visceral, deep way, because there's something going on with the way they're telling the story, the way they're combining all the tech work, the way they're even moving the camera with with performance and writing. Everything goes into it, and I and I'm and I'm sucked in, and I feel uh, I feel something that I haven't felt before. You know, um, usually that's what hap- my favorite movies. And the way this movie opens. Everything seems relatively normal, but you can tell, oh, my God, there's something else going on, you know, and it grabs you that way. And that's that's the kind of stuff that I really, really, really love. Um, it is very violent. You know, if you don't like that, then don't see it. But uh, it also has all these fun, like, 80s kind of references. I like, you know, hey, I, I'm a child of – the late 80s really but a lot of those 80s movies are still some of my favorite movies this movie is unabashedly referencing um uh, 80s horror and action movies um did anybody else see the guest i remember i I was talking about it a lot when it came out anybody else see it i
3: have not seen it no
1: No. i just watched it the other night what did you think? I loved it, absolutely loved it, and it's actually one that's in the top uh, on my list as well. And I believe I watched it on your recommendation. Um, but yeah, Dan Stevens, wow, uh, it's fantastic. He uh, uh, it reminded me a lot with the the way the 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 music and the uh, uh, the camera work. It just reminded me a lot of Drive.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Drive was my favorite movie of the year that movie came out. So yeah, you're right, especially like the way the music is is integrated into what's going on. Uh, yeah, the guest the guest is fantastic, and uh, I really really like that movie. It it might be my favorite movie of the year. It's certainly in the top say three. Um, who's got another one? I don't know. I don't remember where we're at. Whose turn is it?
3: Well, I don't know if anyone's interested in kind of doing a prediction of what do you think will win Best Picture this year.
0: Well, I've still got three movies on my top eight that I wanted to mention. Oh, we well, proceed like then. <laughs> um, well, I just did the guest trade. You do you have another one, one that you wanted to talk about?
1: Uh, I enjoyed Grand Budapest Hotel quite a bit.
0: I did not see that one. I know it's it's a Wes Anderson movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is. He's very like like if you like his movies, you I'm, I'm
3: guessing you would love it. Yeah, I'm. I saw it. I I did like it, but I like Wes Anderson. It's that kind of thing. But I do think it's one of the better ones of his. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, uh, God, what was I heard somebody say the other day? It's a, uh, the best French film released by a Texas <laughs> filmmaker. I, I heard someone say that the other day, and that's that's exactly right. But it's it's definitely worth watching. Oh. Uh, 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 Finds is fantastic. Everyone's just great in it, and it's all around a good time. It's a quirky good time. It's what you'd expect from a Wes Anderson film, and a little bit more.
0: Um, well, I got three left. I'm sure one of
3: these is something you guys want to talk about. Uh, Boyhood. Yep. That will. I think uh, that's. I'm going to say it right now. That's going to win Best Picture this year.
0: Well, Boyhood is like. It's, it's almost, it's, it's a kind of sublime, really. It, aside from the, the, the gimmick, which I, I think it's fair to use that term. There's a little, there's a little sure. bit gimmicky. Yeah. Um, the, the fact that they even did it, that they pulled it off, that they made this movie boyhood uh, over the course of 10 or 12 years. And you, you know, you see this, this boy become a man before your eyes. It's, it's. It's nutty. It's incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. it's something that you're like, wow. I mean, how many times in my life am I going to experience this in a film? Um, aside from all of that, which that's significant. That's that's amazing. But if you kind of get if you if you get past that, it's still really really good. You yeah. know, it still has an an awesome insight into exactly what the title is you know boyhood um and and a child becoming an adult not not just boy to man you know but um it's a movie that while you're watching it it's just it just washes over you and and the most amazing thing to me is the way that it the way it jumps ahead a couple of years and it doesn't even feel like it mm-hmm. which is weird you know and i and I think. The reason that's so awesome is because it, it it does show you just how much how much we are this one person who is growing. You know, th- there's this there's this clear thread mm-hmm. um, it, it, between him as a boy and him as a man. Um, you know, in in a weird way, it made me like realize all those movies we see. Where they have to have they have a different actor play <laughs> the person at a different age, um, those things work pretty darn well for a reason, and I see that now. I see why. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not such a stretch in all the, in every other movie ever made, mm-hmm. um, because you're still writing for this one character, and and, all, and and so much of what keeps so much of what defines us has nothing to
3: do with the way we look. Mm-hmm you know. Yeah, I think I think it does it, I agree with all that and I think it also does such a good job of kind of it in because of the way it's done, it mimics the way our memories are in the sense that, you know, we don't, you know, we go back and think about how our life was and it's just the highlights, right? I mean the mm-hmm. really good stuff, the really bad stuff. That's all that we get. And because it it touches on You know something that's going on in the life of this person, and not always that significant, but it's they're often each year. It's it's a good summation of what how life is, and perhaps there's some high points and low points and things like that, and points that form who this person is. I mean that's that's how we work. You know that's how our brain works. We think back, and you know it's kind of like well this year I can tell you one thing or two things and onward and and so on. You know so yeah I love that too. Like there there were some obvious things like oh the year that. Um
0: that my mom broke up with this guy, and sure. we and we ran out of the house and had to live somewhere else, well, obviously you remember that, but what I loved were the other things that were you know whenever he goes to his 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 dad's like like his his stepmom's parents' house, like so I guess grandparents in law or something, and, and mm-hmm. they give him give him like a gun or something and he, he shoots a little bit outside. I mean it's a very Texas thing. Maybe that that is certainly not up there with uh mommy got divorced and we got kicked out or whatever. It's not up there like that. But when you look back on your childhood, yeah, there are those highlights that kind of that these are the things for whatever reason that, that you remember and they become so special and they become such a part of what defines you and that's what this movie does it just it just touches on these little things here and there and here and there and by the time the nearly 3 hour movie that by the way is three of the fastest hours ever it does not feel like it's that long by the time it's over you're like all these these things come together and he here here he is this 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 guy that went from then from a little kid that just sits around playing video games to a man that wants to, you know, find his place in the world and do something uh, important with his life. And, and I believe it. And it was it, it was fantastic. You know, it it, it, it a great movie uh, will will help you will ask you to kind of look at yourself in your own life and your own human condition. Um, and it did that for me. You know, I was thinking about that movie for days after I saw it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I agree
0: trey you have any thoughts on uh, boyhood
1: um well i have it on my amazon digital right now and i'm just waiting to watch it so. oh
0: cool adam did you did you see that one no i didn't see it well i certainly agree that it should be uh that it should get the nomination i don't think that there's any like there are other years where maybe it wouldn't be so obvious but since there's n- there doesn't seem to be a movie this year that's like, oh, that's it, you know. Um, And just because I've, like, for me, in years past, there's one movie like that's my favorite movie of the year. It's almost never, you know. Usually, it's it's I'll see it one one movie and be like, that's my favorite movie this year, Kick-Ass or something. Mm-hmm. And then I'll see another movie and be like, that's the movie that's going to best, win best picture. They're never the same. The point <laughs> right. is, it's usually obvious. This year, it doesn't seem that way. It doesn't seem like that's that's the movie that's really t- going a take it so uh you know i think boyhood has a, a pretty decent shot um uh that was mine i still have two left uh any trey you got any more left
1: oh um what do i have i've got a couple of others that i just really enjoyed uh one that i was surprised with was dawn of the planet of the Apes. i didn't expect to like it as much as i did but it it proved to be a, uh, an entertaining uh, – it was certainly one of the uh, the better Apes movies. Um, that and uh, The Babadook. Uh, the more I think about The Duke, the more I I really like it. I don't know. Did
0: anybody I, else see it? I'll say on, on the, the Apes movie, I really – I enjoyed it a lot. I, I think it should probably win uh, Best um, Effects. Best visual effects. I, I was just floored with the way we had, you know, scenes of all digital characters, and I was feeling something emotionally. So, I mean, it may not have made my list for best pictures of the year, but uh, amazing effects work. And then, Babadook, Duke*. I have not seen it, but it's one of those movies where it's like they're like this growing chorus. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking like, I guess I need to see this movie. Well,
1: and it's it's one of those it's a f- horror movie, right? Horror. It is. It's it's a horror film, and it's one of those that it seems like it's just that your your run of the mill, you know, haunted house monster film that turns into something far more personal with the um the lead mother in the film. I don't wanna go too much into it and mm. give anything away. But um it's one of those when I finished watching it, I thought, Okay, yeah, that was that was serviceable but the next few days afterwards I kept thinking and thinking and thinking about the character, which just, this is creature and it's just mm. It, it, it really grabbed me, so
0: to say. That reminds me another one that I haven't, have not seen, but just based on the trailer, it seems like something I'd like to see, and I just haven't had a chance yet. Only Lovers Left Alive, that new Jim
3: Jarmusch movie. I have
0: seen that. I
3: enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. That seems like something I'd really like,
0: but you would not put it on your list of the top few movies for the year.
3: I considered it. I mean, I, yeah. I, I considered mentioning it. I, I didn't really rank, do a ranking. I just kind of like perused them and thought of stuff that I thought would be interesting to mm-hmm. mention, but it, but I definitely didn't enjoy it. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, another one that's, I got two left here on my top eight. Um, they're both probably predictable, but uh, let's Foxcatcher. Everybody see that one?
3: I haven't seen that yet. No. No.
1: You see it, Trey? No, not yet.
3: Oh, I'm the only one that's seen Foxcatcher. I don't think it's been here yet, to be honest with you. Really? Yeah, maybe it's a limited release kind of deal. Oh. It seems like I saw it a while back, mm. but
0: uh, it's really good. <laughs> cool. I mean, it's it's really good, and it's um, I've seen like dramas and things where Steve Carell was great, but he takes it to another level in this movie, and Mark Ruffalo is amazing, and then Channing Tatum, he can act. He really can uh but the the story is you know it's a true story it's, you get pulled into a movie a lot more when it's a true story of course but even knowing the story there are still moments in there and I won't give anything away since no one has seen it but there's even knowing the story there're still moments in there you're like oh my god you know it's 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 just it's really good and it has this um it has this like out in the snow, desolate tone to it, and the whole movie is this weird, like, like melancholy. But people are just disconnected, um, uh, and, and, and like Chan, Channing Tatum, he's—I've never seen him like lose himself in a role, but he's almost. He's almost unrecognizable in the same way that Steve Carell is. Mark Ruffalo, I guess, is playing Mark Ruffalo, but he's he's very good too, you know. Um, so I think more than anything, that's what Foxcatcher is. It's like, you know, it's a little bit of that Tilda Swinton and Snow Snowpiercer, you know. It's like every scene you're just like you're just mesmerized by by watching these people, hmm. um, and you can't. It, it, it's almost like this. Like a like an incredible character study. I don't know, um, but it's it's very 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 good. I can't imagine anybody seeing that movie and not really really loving it, and I can't imagine Foxcatcher not getting nominated. And that movie has to get nominated.
3: For I, Picture. I just looked it up for the listeners. It it, it is a limited release thing in November. It will uh, spread across the U.S. in January. So no doubt it opened in limited release. So it could be you know up ah. for the Oscar. You know, but okay. yeah.
0: Well, it's very, very good. Awesome. I'll I'll not talk any more about it since nobody's seen it. I don't want to spoil anything.
1: Well, I'll but, tell you what, real quick on Foxcatcher. Um, haven't seen it, but it does have one of my favorite posters of the year. What was uh, the poster? It's uh, a silhouette of Steve Carell. Um, his profile sort of torn off the poster with the school in the background in black and white. If you get a chance to check it out, it's really... Cool.
3: Very
0: cool. Like, uh, okay, well, the last one on my, my list was uh, Nightcrawler.
3: I have that, too. I was going to bring that up if, <laughs>
0: if you called on me next, yeah. Nightcrawler is awesome. Nightcrawler is so good. There there are scenes... I definitely don't want to give anything away with, with where the movie goes and kind of how the movie resolves um, because I was surprised with that. But we, we all know movies so well you know we all know everything that goes into making them and even when you're watching a movie as a movie lover it's hard sometimes to um, I shouldn't say it's hard to I should say it's really easy to be conscious of the fact that you're watching a movie especially you know we're, we're talking about all these actors that we've seen in lots of movies and you know we know them so well and you know you're constantly bombarded in a weird way with the fact that this is a movie and it's all fake and put together there are scenes in Nightcrawler when my heart was beating like crazy, you know, like I thought my heart was going to blow out of my chest because I was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Oh, my God, what's going on? And, you know, I'm looking at Jake Gyllenhaal, a fantastic actor. Uh, uh, when I'm, I'm looking at Jake Gyllenhaal, an actor that I've seen in other movies. I know this is all just a movie, but yet it's made so well and it's so well construction, constructed. And the the trajectory of the movie, maybe more than anything else, that we're talking about here. I don't know. I probably you know, whiplash might seem be the same kind of thing. Well, look, even whiplash has a, has a part where it kind of bops down. Um, but, but, but Nightcrawler, it's just, it's just uh, like a graph that goes in one. It's a straight line, you know, it goes in this one <laughs> way direction right up until the end. Um, and uh, it was, it was thrilling, mm-hmm. thrilling to watch that movie. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is awesome.
3: Oh yeah, man! That him playing that character, man, that is effed up. I mean, he just <laughs> just like whoa, you know, you're just scared of that guy. Yeah, it it, it was awesome.
0: Yeah, uh, Trey, what do you think of Nightcrawler? Caesar? Did you see it?
1: No, I didn't see it. I what? hate to say it, it's another one I haven't seen. You haven't seen yet. Yeah, I, I know it's it's right up my alley. I've had several people tell me that. So, third.
0: Um, well, there's a couple more that I want to talk about that are. You know, so, but that that's that's my list of eight. Edge of Tomorrow, The Guest, Boyhood, Birdman, Nightcrawler, Whiplash, Foxcatcher, and Snowpiercer. Anybody else have anything on their list of one of my favorites that we, you know, this is one of my favorites I want to talk about before I mention the side kind of movies for me?
3: I, I did quickly mention, I mean, I... I'm not a huge fan of SNL, but I've caught up with SNL and I stay up with it. And there's certain cast members I'm a fan of. So it probably sways me a little bit when this, but I really enjoyed Skeleton Twins um, with Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig. I thought it was really good.
0: I haven't seen it, but I I mean, I'm familiar with it. It looks like the kind of thing I would
3: like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's, it's very interesting. And it's, yeah. And I mean, you know, and and getting to see these actors shine in not just purely comedic, silly roles or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Trey, any others of yours up there?
1: Uh, I don't think so. No.
0: Um. Well, a couple others that I just kind of wanted to mention. Uh, uh, Calvary. Um, that's uh. I can't. I can't remember the name of the writer director, but the the lead actor in that one, uh, Brendan Gleason. I really like Brendan Gleason. I wish he would get more like lead roles, um, but. Calvary might not make my list of, you know, top eight movies of the year, but, uh, Brendan Gleeson's performance in that movie might be my favorite performance of the year. It's certainly up there. I hope he gets nominated for an Oscar. Um, so if you like strong, incredible performances, um, uh, Brendan Gleeson in Calvary, I think you can, I think that one's on video now. You can rent it, that kind of thing. Um, the other one that would not make my list, but I really enjoyed and I thought about a lot, was Under the Skin. Mm-hmm. That's the one from the Sexy Beast director that stars uh, Scarlett Johansson. It's like this s- sort of small sci-fi sort of thing. Anybody else see that one?
3: Yes, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Thought it was interesting. I mean, it's um, it's really head tripping, and you gotta be in the mood to kind of see. You know, you gotta be ready yeah. for that kind of thing. But it's yeah, it's cool.
0: I think that one might have my favorite score, my favorite music score Mm. of any movie for the year. I really like the music, and I don't even know who did it. But the score in that movie is awesome. Um, um, uh, Two surprises for me. Uh, Inherent Vice. Anybody else seen that one? That's Paul Thomas Anderson's new
1: movie? No, it hasn't opened here yet.
0: Okay, well... Every other year that Paul Thomas Anderson released a movie, it was either my favorite movie of that year or one of my favorite movies from that year. This is the first time ever where I would not say that about a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Um, I mean, I, I went to see that movie based purely on him as the director. And it's it's okay. It's got a couple of cool moments and stuff, but not a chance would I put this on my list. You know, Even when he's done movies that I didn't like as much as the others, like his last one, The Master – um, I didn't like it nearly as much as some of his other movies, but still, there was this sense of you're seeing something unlike other things you've ever seen. And and if it didn't have every other movie of his, I think at the end I could have said if if I didn't know better, I would have said that's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. I didn't feel that way about Inherent Vice, you know. It didn't seem um, to have his as much of his voice. I won't go into too much detail since it sounds like none of you guys have seen it. and I don't want to you know uh talk solo about it for a while but i know, like trey i know you're as big a fan of his anderson's as i am
1: oh uh, absolutely As the, the day it hits here um, we're planning on checking it out
0: yeah so i i was surprised that i did not like it uh as much as i usually like his movies so i'm i'm surprised that this year he released a movie that is not in my list of favorites. And then the other one I have to say it, probably my biggest disappointment for the year was Godzilla. Um that was this year, right? Yeah, that was this year. Yeah. Not because it was the worst movie of the year, but it was like probably the most boring movie of the year for me. <laughs> I was and and based on I remember being at Comic-Con and they played like this teaser before they shot any of the movie and it was incredible. And I, and the director talked about his approach and I was so excited. And then I saw the movie and I, it put me to sleep. So, um, that was a surprise. Um, so I think I've talked about all the movies that I wanted to talk to. I'm going to spend like 30 seconds talking about TV. Very, very, very briefly. Uh, if, what do you guys, any other movies you guys want to mention from this, this calendar year?
3: No, I'm good. Good
0: um the, real quick on tv um just for there were just a couple of shows this year there was one show this year that, that like for new shows manhattan I've, th- I've talked to you guys about it before but uh i really like that show i don't even know what's when what, i watched it on on hulu but i really liked manhattan so it was my favorite like totally new show from the year you know the, the other totally new show that i really i'm really enjoying so far is um the flash um That's 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 the extent of where this is already going to be one of our longest podcasts ever. Uh, So I don't need to talk about any more TV. I don't know if you guys wanted to mention any TV stuff.
2: No, No, we're good. Okay, so
0: so what about movies for next year? Um, Oh, wait, real fast. Steve, your prediction for what's going to win Best Picture then is Boyhood. Yeah. Okay. Um, Anybody else have a prediction on that front?
1: Um, after I see Boyhood, <laughs> oh Okay, so,
0: I gotta say, for 2015, the movie that I am most excited about, by a long shot, based no doubt largely on it producing one of my favorite trailers in history, is the new Mad Max movie. Oh my god, do I love that Mad Max trailer. And there's a newer one um, that's pretty close to the first one so i'd probably take either i think i like the first one slightly better because there's not much difference but uh boy do i love that trailer and it makes me want to see that dang movie
1: yeah Yeah. it does look pretty good that's at the top of my list uh, yeah yeah
0: by for, for an order by an order of magnitude for me am i most excited about um uh mad max fury road um And then um, I've seen the trailer for Chappie like three times now, and it's and it still gets me really excited. I don't know if you guys that's the one from the uh, District Nine director. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. It looks cool. You know, his last movie I can't remember what it's called, the thing with Matt Damon and Jodie Foster. It it was good, but it didn't floor me. I mean, District Nine was my favorite movie of the year that movie came out. Um, It didn't floor me that way, but this seems this seems. like he's going for that same kind of District 9 kind of feel. I'm, um, I'm,
2: I'm a lot more interested
0: in the interview after today. <laughs> <laughs> I was so upset that Sony canceled that premiere. Um, that just seems like silliness. Well, it just seems like th- th- there's a reason we don't negotiate it with terrorists for example it encouraged you know when they went i mean they've canceled the whole thing i mean yeah. the, the yeah. film's not being released release
3: now i mean it's they it's, put it on the shelf pretty much i i'm but doesn't
0: that encourage i know this is way off topic but doesn't that encourage um what encourage do you, this kind of action on the part of where do you draw
3: the line? What, what yeah. if what if Kim Jong-un doesn't like the moral stance of some film that some studio is putting out and they start doing the same thing? Star Wars. Again? I don't like Star Wars. Mm, this doesn't go, you know, I mean, screw him. You know, I'm sick of this crap. I'm, I'm irritated about this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But we can talk about it now because it's probably going to be a 2015 movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Direct to video. It'll be like, oh, by the way, that came out two days ago. Did you not notice? <laughs> That's what's going to happen.
1: Right. Think about you released the it point. Think about how much just his gonna Make it's going to no, make.
3: But so that's money. true. Everybody will watch it now, when however form it comes out someday. But yeah, but just uh, look at look at you're the losing millions. A lot. Yeah. They spent
0: millions of dollars marketing that that's crazy. For, it's for a Christmas release. That like, money is toast now.
3: Like Sony has a lot of room to be losing a lot of money yeah. and stuff yeah. too. Yeah, that's, definitely
0: don't. Um, Well, we can't talk about 2015 movies without talking about Star Wars. At this point, I'm sure we've all seen the trailer. Uh, I was I was up on that Friday morning that they were releasing. Originally, I was going to go to the theater and then they announced it was going to be on Apple TV and iTunes uh, Friday morning. I'm like, great, okay. So I got up at like seven California time and I just kept refreshing and refreshing <laughs> and I was rewarded at like 7.40, I think it was. It popped up uh, and I, I promptly watched it like 10, 10 times in a row. <laughs> um, I think we're all excited about star wars oh yeah it looks cool
2: there's a new jurassic park movie coming out next year i didn't yeah. realize that
0: yeah i i, I chris pratt taking over the world really? uh he's the lead in that one but you know i watched that trailer i've seen that that jurassic park trailer a couple times now and you know i'm sure i'll see the movie but there's literally nothing in that trailer that it's kind of like the new Terminator movie, you know, that Genesis where they yeah. need to need to get a dictionary so they can spell Genesis right. <laughs> um, it's like that, you know, it's like, yeah, cool. I'm sure I'll see it. But this just looks like they can't get past the first two Terminators. You know, mm-hmm. this that's what it looks like. This Jurassic Park movie feels like, yeah, they they made one incredible Jurassic Park movie. And now they're just going to kind of remake that forever. That's what it feels like. I don't know.
2: New Fantastic Four. Sorry, I'm just going through the list of twenty. At, at least you know Star Wars, it,
0: Mad Max. These are these are pre-existing IP that that there was stuff in there that felt new to me, while also, of course, you know having old stuff. Um,
2: American Sniper looks interesting.
0: Well, that's, that's this year. That's Christmas.
2: How's it coming out? Well, it hasn't. It hasn't come out yet, Brian. We can test it. it. That's true. But it does look cool. Yes, mm-hmm. it definitely does.
0: Um, I promised our listeners we'd talk about Star Wars, and nobody wants to say anything else on Star Wars? Well, I really
2: know. not too. I mean, the trailer's really cool. I mean, I'm a little bit more excited about it after seeing it on the, the IMAX screen. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a year away. we you know, we got we to see a little bit more. More trailers.
3: Is this where you want to insert your tirade, Brian, on post converted <laughs> 3D? Uh, yeah, you know, I.
0: I totally appreciate – like JJ, he wanted to shoot this movie on film, and obviously you're not – if you shoot 3D on film, it just doesn't work out that great. The cameras shake too much, Um, and it's too hard to keep them aligned, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there is this real sense of – well, you know, I'll talk more about this later because we're going to – we have a text section we're going to do so we don't waste trace time. But I thought that the 3D looked fine, occasionally janky, like when that – the the girl jumps on that sort of speeder bike looking thing and like flies off you know like it didn't the 3D was it was obviously post converted you know like she she looked odd against the background and and it kind of flipped in and out mm-hmm. um anyway i'll i'll save that time right. uh all right we should wrap this section up this is already like an hour long section uh is there any other movie coming out next year you guys are crazy excited about
1: there aren't any trailers for it yet, but I'm always down for Ridley Scott doing sci-fi, so The Martian. Just one i would be in.
0: Did everybody see Exorc- uh, Exorcist? Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, um Exodus? No. no, I haven't seen it
3: yet. No. Have you?
0: I, I saw it. You know, it was... Good, it, wasn't
3: it, it wasn't terrible.
2: It wasn't terrible. That's not like a ringing <laughs> endorsement to go out and spend... 15, 20 bucks on a movie.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's worth, you know. Um, you know, it was okay. There was, um. It, it tried to do some, you know, you can't help but compare it to Ten Commandments. Uh, it tried to do some different things and stuff, but, you know, Ridley Scott's, you know, he's still one of the all-time, you know, greatest filmmakers ever, and that, nothing he can he could make use toilet paper adventures the movie and he would still be on that list you know he's he's, he's there he secured his place
1: oh man i want him to do that so bad now <laughs>
0: but you know i would have been okay with it if he had not made this movie
1: yeah
0: any anyway, hey I, I watched prometheus the other day that's a modern one of his that it's got you know huge holes and problems, but from a design standpoint, I really like that movie, you mm-hmm. know, and that's Ridley. Uh, okay, we got to stop this section, otherwise, uh, we're not gonna have any juice left for the rest of our show. <laughs> um, Trey, thank you so much for joining us, man.
1: Guys, thanks for having me, I greatly appreciate it.
0: Um, you want to tell anybody? Are you still? You were doing reviews for a while, but I think you said maybe you haven't done those in a bit because you've been so busy.
1: Uh, I've I've been too busy with uh, with other activities to uh, to do reviews, but hopefully soon I'll be able to get back into it.
0: Okay. Is there is there anything you want to plug or mention or anything like that? No. What's your? Can you do you send out?
1: Do you use Twitter much? Do you have followers? Things you can mention your. Uh, you know, uh, you can find me on Facebook. I'm always putting up fun photography. That's that's about it. Just uh, Facebook.com backslash s r d i d y m u s. Didymus.
0: Cool. Oh yeah, you know, I don't spend enough time on Facebook. My wife is frequently telling me uh, how much she loves your photography. I think that's part of that's part of what got her interested, and she was started. You know, and I I got her a camera for her last birthday because she was talking a lot about. In fact, maybe we got. The same line of camera that you have, because of the pictures she saw of yours, and she liked. Anyway, so Trey does take
1: takes some great pictures. I've, I've been seeing her stuff; it's fantastic. What kind cool. of camera to use? A uh, Canon Rebel P3I. Cool. That's fun.
0: All right, so thanks again for joining us, and uh, listeners, um, we are going to hop into a. Uh, An interview, a brief interview that Adam did a while back with Leonard Nimoy. (laughs) Do you want to set any of this up, Adam?
2: Um, This interview took place in 2006. It was, for those of you familiar with the show, um, you've heard me tell this before. Those who aren't, um, I work in television, and this was one of my first interviews and i'd never really done it in college i just kind of got thrown into it and so it's very raw um the marina doing in are... this one first
0: and then later <laughs> in our podcast we're going to have yeah. his more recent interview with marina
2: uh, yeah my, my marina interview is a lot more fluid okay smooth, cool but all right so um, enjoy it was fun i Listeners, was very stay around
0: for that and uh trey thanks again man
2: take it easy thanks okay. guys why do you think star trek is still relevant after 40 years
4: I think we were very fortunate in that we had, uh, in the original series at least, a very limited budget. Uh, That meant that we could not afford a lot of very uh, spectacular physical effects. And that meant in order to put a show on the air we had to have strong stories. Um, Because the stories were strong and had levels of, of thought and levels of ideas that could be experienced by a little kid or an adult little kids on the one hand because of what they saw and adults because of what they understood, uh, the shows still remain relevant because the stories are still relevant.
2: Okay. Um, how do you think um, Star Trek and your character Spock will be remembered throughout generations to come? Or will they?
4: Well, <clears throat> you proceed from an assumption. No. <laughs> Which is the generation from now they will still be aware of Star Trek? I, I, I assume it's a good <clears throat>
2: assumption. Uh? I assume it's a good
5: assumption. Yeah,
4: I'm, uh, chances are that that um, people will be aware of Star Trek and Spock for some time to come, and that's, that's a very proud thing. I'm, I'm I'm very pleased that it's over 40 years now since we went on the air, and we still have some have some relevance, and that's, that's I feel that we've accomplished something.
2: Okay. Um, there's been talk that um, you and um, Shatner will be reprising your roles in the next Star Trek film. Is there any truth to that? I
4: think um, the, the thoughts are uh, uh, and the talk is premature. Okay. I know that there has been talk about another Star Trek film being done. I know I have seen press about the possibility of, of us being involved, but uh, I have no reason to believe that, uh, that, uh, that I know anything more than, than what you folks know and what's been published.
2: Okay. Um, on a personal level, how has Star Trek impacted your life?
4: I've had steady work <clears throat> ever since Star Trek went on the air. Uh, I've, I've uh, been able to do a lot of interesting projects all around the world, all around the United States and the world. Um, met a lot of great people, worked with a lot of very talented and great people. Been able to explore creativity on many levels. It's been a, a very profoundly positive experience for me.
2: Okay. Um, a couple more things. Um um, you you visited Chicago twice in the last year. Um, what's your favorite thing about um, coming to the Windy City, <laughs> 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 or what do you like most about <clears throat> Chicago, coming here? Chicago
4: is a great city. The, there's great architecture, uh, great art. The Chicago Institute, uh, Art Institute, is a, a wonderful institution. Uh, I have acted in and around Chicago quite a bit, and and uh, had wonderful acting experiences. Um, Southern Illinois, um, Western Illinois, um, Chicago in town at the Schubert Theater. Uh, I have a lot of fond memories of experiences in and around the city.
2: Okay. And lastly, um, do you have any predictions or advice for the Bears tomorrow? Uh, <clears throat> If you follow football. (laughs) They're going to win. All right.
4: (laughs) They're going to win. I think it's going to be a potentially cold and snowy day, but they're going to win.
2: Okay. Bears over the the Seahawks. All right. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. You're welcome.
0: (laughs) Okay. We're back from Adam's uh, interview there with uh, Leonard. (laughs) Um, So, hey, one thing I want to talk about, guys, some tech things. Um, So I'm going to CES in a couple of weeks. And, uh, one thing I'm hoping to see there is, uh, maybe not any hardware, but at least they should have the the specs finalized for 4k Blu-ray. Uh, Blu-ray has never taken off as, it's not as big as DVD, but it's a common misconception that Blu-ray is failing. Blu-ray is still making money. Library product doesn't sell so well. Uh, it's, you know, it's mostly new releases, but they still sell. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting, like. I have found, for example, with video games, I, am, I have now gone all digital. I don't buy anything at retail anymore. I, you know, I buy a lot more movies than I do games, but I am all digital with games. With books, I am now all digital. With movies, I have been all digital for years now. I mean, not, excuse me, not movies, music. With, with music, I have been all digital for years, outside of the occasional limited edition collectors kind of thing, of course. But, you know... Um, but movies I'm still I still prefer to get a blu ray. I would rather get a blu ray that comes with an iTunes copy um, even even if I don't use them that often um, but I still see a big difference in the image quality from even the highest you know the from even the least compressed digital format you know online format uh still looks more compressed to me uh than a blu-ray so you know personally i'm still buying blu-rays which means uh uh, i you know i think we can all assume the same kind of thing will happen with 4k uh the there are all are already 4k digital ways like netflix has a few shows in 4k for example um but I, th- I think it's safe to assume that a new physical 4K Blu-ray format is going to have less compression and have it provide a better image than the more compressed things like, say, through Netflix. So my question is, am I really in the minority here? Uh, the average consumer, do you think that 4K Blu-ray is too little too late? Um, is this is something that interests you guys?
2: Um, I kind of think it'll probably be more of a, a niche product for guys like yourself, Brian. Um, I think most people are probably going to go more digital with movies, just the the way they did with um, TV music and, um, you know, that sort of thing. I do think it'll probably be a longer process. I don't think, you know, you're not going to see the disc go away for another, at least another 10 or 15 years just because the storage capacity is still high for all these movies that you want to keep. So I, I don't see it being, I don't see it, um, being like, oh my gosh, I think it kind of will be the same as Blu ray. You know, you'll still have your niche buyers. I'll still buy some from time to time, but I don't, I think, I think it's probably a little too late.
3: I think, I mean, we're talking about this, but you know two out of the three of us at least or i mean i'm i'm kind of in the like you are brian with the my views on this kind of stuff i mean i buy a lot of blu-rays and you know I'm, i'm nitpick about the quality and all this kind of stuff too but i know the general populace um, isn't that way? So I agree. It's going to be a niche product. I think it's just going to be, you know, what I'm, what I see is a, a, a fragmentation. It's just a continue fra- continual fragmentation of the market in this way. I mean, some people never watch anything beyond their tablet on the toilet. Watch keeping up mm-hmm. with shows or something, um, and then they just don't give a rip. I mean, you know, sure I'll go to the movie. Sure I'll see it on this, but the the whole, as far as the quality, the compression, all these things, a good chunk of the population doesn't care. You know, and so I think. I think it'll be, you know, I mean, heck, there's a there's a market out there for people buying uh, vinyl records and stuff, you know, I mean, and that's, I'm not saying it's not really the same analogy here, because that's a compressed product that has a limited, you know, um, highs and lows and things like that. But the point is, is that there are people that care about quality, even in something where, I mean, like, not a huge percentage of people do everything digitally with music now. So, but I, I don't, I think with, I think people will buy Blu ray 4K, but it'll be, it'll be, um, it'll be a niche thing. I think how they present it, how they pull it off is going to make a big difference. I would, I don't know how they're going to do it. But what I would like to see is that. Ideally, if they can make like a, a 4K Blu-rays come out where they don't have to come out with 4K Blu-ray, Blu-ray, DVD for every single thing that comes out to, to make it even more confusing. You know, if I well, like a, have a 4K Blu-ray that will also play it in 1080p and the, and the player knows the difference when you put it in. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what would be nice is if kind of like what they do
0: now where a lot of times you get those combo packs that have Blu-ray and DVD. Yeah, yeah. If they put the Blu-ray 4K with Blu-ray. Sure. Um, 1080p, um, that would be cool. I'd be fine with that. They could kind of start dropping DVD. Um, I think that's probably what they're going to have to do, at least to get. Because um, if you're a, if you're right now, you're buying DVDs. You don't buy Blu-rays at all. You're not the market for Blu-ray 4K. Right, right. <laughs> you know, but people that are buying Blu-rays, maybe those some of those people are mm-hmm. going to be which is why it's like niche of a niche, but maybe some of those people are going to be into the 4K Blu-ray.
3: And I think over time, I think it'll be kind of like what it is now. I think over time, you know, the physical players that play things, you know, as time goes on, they'll they'll all play all of them, you know, and so g- gradually they'll just kind of fall by the wayside, the old players that are only DVD, only the plain Blu-ray, stuff like that. But but yeah, as time goes on, since more and more of the population just do things digitally, it's a, it's a smaller percentage of things, but... Yeah. Well, I mean that's I,
2: um, part of that is evident of what the death of the video stores. I mean, you know, I know a lot of people were happy when Blockbuster died, but I mean, you <laughs> you don't you. I mean, that's to rent a movie. I mean, most people don't want to go out and spend, you know, thirty bucks a week on the the new release movie on Blu-ray. You know, if you get it on sale, maybe it's twenty dollars. And you know, maybe there's a couple times. So people don't want to spend like when you can go and spend mm-hmm. like three to four dollars. Like you've done your whole entire life. You went to, you didn't go buy the movie. You went to Blockbuster and you rented it. Now now you don't have that avenue, so it's not that right. – I don't think people don't appreciate quality. I think they do. They're just not given an option, and they don't want to go out and spend the 20 or $30 every week for the DVD because, A, that costs money, and, B, that's storage. So they're not given an option to rent this kind of stuff, and that's unfortunate, and I hope that the avenues that we do have to rent movies just to see them one time mm-hmm. does become better. I hope they just don't slack on quality. Um, with Netflix, Hulu, you know. It'll be interesting to see because HBO is going to be releasing their app, so you don't have to have a cable subscription to get HBO, so it'll be interesting to see how they handle their quality when they start streaming stuff.
0: You know, on one hand, most people's televisions in their home, you can't, you're not really going to see a difference resolution-wise between 1080p and 4K. uh, Unless you've got a monstrously huge TV or you sit incredibly close you're you're, you're probably not going to tell much of a difference you know and i'm and i'm conscious of that but still i don't know i still want them to make them and i and i'd like to consume that instead uh but i think for 4K blu-ray the rumors have been that the specs are going to have other things that i'm way more excited about than resolution um like h- higher bit depth for color for example mm-hmm. um you know these things have been 8 bit forever, but 10 bit color would be great. That'd be awesome. You know, I work post production and I see practically the difference between this. You know, there's that banding that we're all just used to seeing in 8 bit, even with the best Blu rays. You know, you can see that in the sky all the time, just as an example. Mm -hmm. Um, These are the kind of things where if we flipped it up to 10 bit color, heck, some of the rumors I've heard 12, I don't think we need that. That's probably overkill, but um, being able to actually reproduce that. Uh, in a consumer form- format would be awesome. Of course, then you're going to need a TV that can support that deep color too. But <laughs> I don't know. But that that leads me to asking um, kind of something I was thinking, because I know, Steve, like you're in the market right now to get a new TV. Mm-hmm. And I know you're interested in 4K. But like how big of a TV are you thinking about getting? Because if you're going to get like a 55 or a 60 inch, you're probably not going to tell it. You can't really, unless you're going to sit two feet from the TV, you can't tell the <laughs> difference between 4K and what is essentially you know, 2K. Right. Um, well, I, I, uh, I have a, how, how big point. of a TV do you think is, it seems like, it seems like we're getting to the point where it's as, where as big as TVs can be. Not, not from a design or technology standpoint, but from – like if I told my wife I wanted a 120-inch TV, she would tell me to move. <laughs> <laughs> even if it was – even if it only cost $5,
3: she sure. would not let me do that. Right, right You know right. what I mean? Okay, so I, now I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all You'd
2: be better off getting a projector anyway. Right. Well, that
3: situation. I mean, well, I – yeah. I mean I have a fairly small living room, um, it, relatively speaking. And I said I don't know. I, if I had to just throw out a number, I'd probably sit like seven feet away from my television. I mean it's not – it's probably – I don't know what the average is. I don't want to get into all that. But anyway, right now I have like a, I don't know, what the heck is it? A 48-inch TV um, that's, you know, 1080p. And I'm I'm probably shooting at maybe 65-inch at that distance. And And, you know, it's one of those things that I know you could be even bigger or be closer for 4K resolution, but there's a little bit of a split the difference notion here because for quite some time, the vast majority of what you're going to be doing is just, um, up-converting, you know, 1080p because there's just not that much stuff out there. So for me, there's kind of a, a little bit of split the difference. There's also a little bit of practicality. I understand what you're saying. There, at some point, you hit an aesthetic where you have to have a designated room or area where it makes sense, and, and you know, you, it doesn't even fit in the kind of living space that most people are used to. So, like I said, I think it's just going to be a huge fragmented market depending on what people's priorities are and what they care about. You talk about people that rent. I mean, I, you know, I I know, um, I will, you know live in, I've worked I work with a number of people that are a variety of ages so I see the gamut of people younger than me people around the same age people that are older you know there's still people that only get discs but it's not because of a quality thing it's because they just don't know anything else we still have red box you know and things like that um, but there's others that are only going to be digital there's others that don't care about the quality some that do care about it it's just it's just a big a big mess <laughs> you know what I mean but it's just it's just it's just the way the world is right now. And, you know, and people are – demographics are, are just spread. You know, people are living to very long ages. They have their ideas about what they want and what they are used to. And so I think, I think for quite some time we're going to see a, a, a huge um, combination and variety of formats and media. Yeah, so, it's funny you yeah. talk
0: about – how long these things live now too because like so i have a 55 inch 1080p but that's that i've had it for a couple years now but it's, it's it's my first big tv you know before that i had like you know 40 or something um and i i'm already thinking like 2016 is probably that i'll hit five years on that tv at that time and i'll probably i think i want to trade up then um but i i did it's the first time i will have had a big tv that i will replace and i've kind of thought What do I do with a 55 inch TV? (laughs) I can't put that in the, in the second bedroom or something. You know what I mean?
3: Well, you know, well, um, as, as our loyal listeners have, know, our personal lives, you know, I got married this year and up to a couple of years ago, I considered I would hang it above the other TV. So I could have a little sports bar in my, (laughs) that's (laughs) not going to happen now. So I don't know. Marriage. Darn it. Uh,
0: Well, go ahead.
2: I was going to say Brian, yeah, I was going to go back to Blockbuster. Remember the Blockbuster days when a movie came out on a video, they all came out at the same time. I still rent occasionally from from Redbox, but it's annoying because they don't get the same release date as say um Best Buy does to sell it, and then there's um another, you know, one of those vending machine type places that's in Whole Foods, and they so it's all different. You don't there, so it's Even kind of digitally annoying it's
0: different though. Yeah. Like, like iTunes, you know, I I don't use I don't rent discs. If I'm if I'm renting and I we don't rent often you know most of the time Netflix Hulu Plus they satisfy us between that and the fact that yes I still buy a lot of Blu-rays that's that pretty much covers us but occasionally there's something that we want to like that's not on Netflix or Hulu that I don't want to buy that we will rent we'll pay a few bucks on iTunes with the Apple TV and rent something um, but even there it's still disparate like uh, everything comes out like two two to three weeks early for sale. Like, it'll be $15 to buy it, and then I'm going to say the thing next to it, available to rent on this date, two or three weeks from now. That happens with almost everything now. It's annoying. It's it's particularly annoying because then I'm like, look at that, like Guardians of the Galaxy. They want whatever it was, $15 or $20, $20 to buy this. If I wait two weeks, I can buy the Blu-ray that comes with the code to get that very digital copy free, Mm -hmm. you know? And then I'll end up with both of the things. I just got to wait two weeks, you know? I don't know.
3: It's nuts. I mean, and the only way, I mean, and I am I I know you're, you know, Brian, you know, how you are about this too, but I have a collector mentality of something that, that's physical too. So that kind of adds to the whole thing too. But, you know, until the digital, until I can just yell at the TV, play this movie, and it's going to automatically pop up and it's going to be in the highest quality available. And I know what I'm getting until that happens. I'm not even considering that notion, you know, it's just, but like, it's it's so disparate as you guys are talking about. It's just...
5: Well, hey, look,
0: I, I've talked about, you know, I still have this at, at uh, the the post house that I work, uh, you know, three or four days a week at. We have a private screening room there. I mean, it's a it's a full on movie theater. It's just smaller than, you know, it's 15 seats, it's a 15 foot screen, 15 seat stadium seating. And I watch Blu-rays in there and they're pretty large. And yes, there it's very obvious uh, a DVD versus a Blu-ray. But, and I, and and it, or excuse me, it's very obvious a digital version versus a Blu-ray. Incredibly obvious. The digital really looks terrible at that size. But even at home on my 55 inch television, and we sit about eight feet away, um, I flip back and forth. Um, what was that HBO? Girls. I remember that was a, a show, like the first season of that we bought the Blu-rays and they came with the digital copy. And we flip back and forth and the digital copy you know, iTunes. That was a 1080p stream. It was night and day. The Blu-ray was so much better. And it's the kind of thing if you weren't a being, it, it wouldn't be so obvious. But once we did, it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. I
2: found the digital copies are really only good for traveling. You know, you can throw a couple movies on your iPad or something. Ah, you know, just when you can afford. I there <laughs> is one other thing digital copy is awesome for.
0: And as the only one of us three that has a child, I will mm-hmm. point out. <laughs> if I take the Planes Blu-ray and put it in. It comes up with this FBI logo, and then there's a Disney logo, (laughs) and then there's an ad, and then there's another ad that just is there to tell you, here's how to skip the ads, which if you then grab the remote and push the button to get to the menu as soon as you possibly can, then you can push play. This entire process is absolutely unacceptable to my Mm three-year-old. And in that sense, owning the digital copy, just grabbing that Apple TV remote, jumping over to purchase... And touching the, you know, the, the planes and it's playing. All Perfect. that stuff is gone. That is worth it. So for kids' movies And mm-hmm. it'll
2: even pick up where you stopped it the last yeah, time. That's, that's true.
0: Uh, for kids' movies, it is definitely a value add to me. No doubt about that. I, you know, and and I, I I cash in if if there's something comes with ultraviolet and, and, and not the iTunes copy, I'll cash it in, but I can tell you I've literally never watched just because I feel like maybe someday I'll want to, but I've literally never watched anything on ultraviolet. Not once yeah. ever. It's just too much trouble. It's just yeah, too much of a pain. Um, but my iTunes copies, yes, I have. I've loaded those onto the iPad on a plane, uh, or I just have this thing I like to keep stuff on my my iPhone. Certain Star Trek movies, or my son, you know, planes movies or something. So that we do. So it it is iTunes. Ultraviolet is not a value-add. I wouldn't buy something just because it came with that. But I will occasionally do that for iTunes. That That is a value-add to me. That um, is, sometimes I'll, I'll actually buy something just because it comes with an iTunes copy.
2: See, I'm, I'm kind of on the flip side of you guys. You guys buy a lot. I, will refu- I don't care how much I like the movie. I refuse to buy a Blu-ray unless it has an iTunes digital copy on it. I refuse to do it. I'm just like, I'm not doing it because then I'm going to have to buy it again when you guys release it specifically only. So I just won't do it.
0: Well, I understand from one point for for studio, big big budget, for big studio movies, I totally agree. But I understand that there is a cost associated with keeping this movie on a server always and forever. You know, I would not expect, I don't know, um, UHF came out on Blu ray this fall. There's an obscure movie from the 80s. I do not expect, you know, uh, Shout Factory to pay the incredible money it would cost to keep that movie on a server so that I could always have access to it in the cloud. So I, I don't well, I expect mean, it for certain movies. Well, but that's business. Well, so you just
2: download it to your own. I don't, I don't take movies up the cloud to download them to my own computer. They're on my hard drive. That's no, I would how never
0: do that because it takes up too much space. I, I, so. I just, I just stream them on my Apple TV or, you know, if it's that rare thing I okay, I'm going to put it, I'm going to download it to my iPad cause I'm going to play it on a plane. That's different. But for the yeah. most part, it's just streaming it on the Apple TV. You can even stream it on, on your iPad or iPhone, but you've got to be, you
2: you know, be gotta, connected. So yeah. no, 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 I don't even bother with that. I mean, it, I have to be able to download the movie. I know Doesn't I that like take...
0: load up your hard drive?
2: No, not too much. I don't, <clears throat> It's not like I have a ton of them. I might have 10 total. Like I said, I don't buy Blu-rays that often. And really what they came down to for me was because I, I used to buy DVDs left and right in the day. It just came down to storage. And then having to rebuy them, and <clears throat> just, I kind of got fed up with the whole process. I mean, I'll still, like I said, I bought Guardians of the Galaxy, but I just I might buy like two or three a year now. And that might be just because of my job. I have pretty much unlimited access to any kind of television or movies I want to watch at any specific time. So that's probably added to the fact that why should I spend 20 or $30 on a movie that I can see for free whenever I want.
0: Hmm. Uh, that brings me to one other thing I wanted to ask Tech Stuff. Um, do you guys watch you know, I said earlier, I would talk about it, so I'll talk about it now. Like, do you think 3D is dead in the home? Because that's one thing that's nice about 4K TV um, is that that 1080p 3D can look really beautiful on a, on a 4K television. Um, I said I would talk about my – I'll keep this really brief, but I said I would talk about my personal philosophy about post-converted 3D. I generally – I, it's not that I that I hate post converted 3D. It's just here's my philosophy: I do not pay extra for post converted 3D. It's that's very simple, actually. With the with the exception of the occasional collectors collector'sy kind of thing, like say Star Trek Into Darkness, um, which I, you know I just as the completionist owning like every Star Trek Blu-ray, that's a different kind of thing. But as a general rule, I do not pay extra for post converted 3D. So. Like My wife and I get to, we're fortunate enough to get to go to these Marvel, Marvel, Marvel premieres. Those are almost always in 3D, but Marvel refuses to actually shoot anything in 3D. They only post-convert. That's not costing me a dime. I'm happy to watch that in 3D. But I said Edge of Tomorrow was one of my favorite movies from the year. I saw that one. I was a paying consumer. I went to the movie theaters and saw that. I know it was post-converted 3D. I did not pay the $5 surcharge or whatever to see the 3D. I just saw it in 2D because I know it was post-converted. If you want me to pay extra for it, a Blu-ray, you know, if I'm gonna buy it a movie on Blu-ray and I know it was post-converted, I'm not gonna pay the extra five bucks for the Blu-ray 3D. I will just get the Blu-ray 2D, you know. So that that's that's my general philosophy is I don't pay extra for post-converted 3D. Um, it it's fine. I don't hate it, but it if you just think about it logically, people that tell you post-converted is just as good. Of course it's not. It's not. This is not rocket science we have two eyes close your eyes and looking at an object look at the side of the object go look at one eye at a time you know you can you're going to see different parts of it there's no way to like replicate that after the fact it's just a pop-out it's the difference between seeing actual depth and seeing a pop-up book that's all that's going on they're just rotoscoping they're just cutting these things out and then putting them in a different uh, spot in the plane there's no there's no sides or back to that image it's just a it's just a 2D pop-up, you know? So I don't hate it. I just don't think it's a value-add. It's nothing that I'm going to pay extra for. It's a gimmick is what you're saying. No, no. I've seen some decent post-converted 3D. I'm just not going to pay extra for it. If you want me to pay extra, you need to shoot it in 3D. You can do that now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, think about the most amazing 3D experiences you've ever had. Think about the one that kickstarted the modern 3D movement, Avatar. Mm-hmm. That was not post-conversion. <laughs> that was two cameras. That was mm-hmm. a lens for each eye. Simple. Yeah, you
3: know? yeah, I I agree with that stance. There's really, come we're talking about two different issues here about you know 3D in the home versus and and this notion of yeah I, I I also don't hate it, but I don't watch it. I'm not going to make a choice to go watch it. To me, it's just kind of a what's the point thing, you know? I mean, it's kind of like someone trying to trick me with something or whatever. Well, that's you know? that's I mean, I mean, the
0: evidence it's, to people out there that it's inferior. The studios go out of their way a lot of the time. To hide the fact that a certain movie was post converted,
3: you have to go look it up. It's not like they're you advertising do. it. They're not like saying like, "Okay, go see this and post converted," or "Go see this in <laughs> real." It's like, well, it's because ninety some percent of the population doesn't even get it. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You know, so you will occasionally see movies that were actually shot in three D advertised as such.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm. Mean, I'm just never. I, the three D thing. Like I'm with you. The, yeah, Avatar was great. It's still the best three D movie I've ever seen. In what it's what's been like six years now. Um, nothing's even come close to it since and I'm kind of annoyed even in the theater there's no way I would do it in the home and have to wear glasses and that kind of thing in the theater it's even kind of gotten annoying even with The Hobbit last night if you move your head a little bit the wrong way I mean it kind of distorts the picture (laughs) that you're watching so it's kind of annoying in that sense because it's like okay I just got taken out of the movie because I you know bobbed my head to the left a little bit and so it is it is very i i just think it's been overplayed and it's when um you know interstellar <clears throat> was not 3d and i enjoyed that far more visually than any 3d movie i've seen since avatar so, so
0: for you it's not just a question of is 3d dead in the home You, you think
2: it's it's overplayed in the theater. Not mm-hmm. you know, post-conversion, yeah, and I just, oh, I think it's overplayed. I don't think you need 3D for every single film, not even every single action film. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of with you. If you want to do 3D, then do it right. Shoot it 3D and plan for it. Just mm-hmm. don't like, okay, we're just going to post it 3D because it's not going to yeah. be as good.
3: I, and I don't, th- I don't think it's dead, but it's kind of the same comfort in the home. But I don't think, I think it's kind of the same conversation with 4K Blu-ray a little bit. In the sense, it's a niche thing. It's just that it's a. Uh, time sensitive niche thing I mean I think you know I mean, it's it's one of those things for people that say oh I want to watch a movie that was shot in 3d in 3d in the home and I'm gonna put the glasses on I'm gonna sit there and I'm gonna just I'm not gonna you know yeah I gotta keep my head kind of steady you know all these kind of things well you know if you're if you want to see it like for real and you're a purist about it you're gonna do that but the bulk of the population is not that way so it's it's mm. going to be something that's an option, you know, you can do it, but you're going to have to potentially go out of your way and you're going to, and you're, you know, it's not going to be the popular choice or whatever.
0: Yeah. I guess for me, it's, it is, I think of everything as what was native. What was, what was this thing natively? How did the director want me to see it? That's why the first time I seen these Hobbit movies, I saw them HFR, the high frame rate, even though I don't like high frame rate. Oh yeah. Because I know um, that's, that's how Peter Jackson designed it. That's how he wanted me to see it. HFR 3D. Mm-hmm. And actually 3D, you know, HFR without 3D would really be pointless to me. You know, it, it does smooth out the 3D in a way. That's mm-hmm. one benefit to it, I suppose. True. But, you know, I remember I remember I got my first 5.1 set up in 90, 97. 98, I forget something like that. I remember when the Matrix came out on in on DVD, September 21st, 1999. <laughs> Let me tell you, I love The Matrix. And when it came out on mm. DVD, I watched it over and over and over and over. And I remember I remember thinking, I'm watching this in 5.1 and I'm never going to watch it any other way because that's how they made it. And uh, unlike years before you know, 5.1, we just had our VHS machines in our houses and watching it in ProLogic Surround or something. I'm like, that's not how they intended for me to hear it. Mm-hmm. But here I am, thanks to technology, I can always hear this the way they intended me to hear it. You know, I thought that was really cool. And, and you know, taken to the extreme and modern, that's kind of how I feel with 3D. If they shot it in 3D, they really planned they, – they shot it in 3D, you know, the, the latest Apes movie, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I watched that on Blu-ray 3D. I didn't, you know mm-hmm. – and, 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 and I was happy. I was happy that I was able to see it as it was intended and designed. Unlike, say, J.J. Abrams' Star Wars movie – That of course is coming out in 3D because you make a lot of that makes an event movie you make lots of money, but it's post converted because he's shooting it on film, you know.
3: Um, Yeah, it's it's just that most people don't know 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 the difference. They just don't mess with it. But I agree with that point. I think in fact I,
0: I, mm, I would make the argument that it's it was the rush to post convert everything save because it's it's cheaper and easier just to just post convert yeah, than it is yeah. to really do it right you know shoot it in 3d it was the rush to do that and just make every movie like that uh that made all these gave it people all these lackluster 3d experiences mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even the best post conversion is just fine it's not bad it's just fine it gave it gave people these lackluster experiences and after a while that built up and now 3d isn't the exciting thing it was when avatar came out
3: yeah and that's and kind that's of this- why yeah, it's kind of the sad point because, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's rare now really to, uh, you know, a live action movie filmed in 3D, you know, it's it's kind of becoming a, a rarity because what's the motivation? It's got to be something the director and the producers want to happen and they specifically are going for something or whatever because it doesn't matter when you go to market with it because, like, you know, like you said, it's cheaper to convert. So why not since 97% of the population doesn't even care or know the difference?
2: Um, yeah, they don't know the difference.
3: But I mean I would personally like to see more experimentation and utilization of, um, of, the, of, the, for, of the format and how it's shot and doing different things, interesting things. I don't know if either of you have seen a movie – I think it came out maybe a year or two ago called – um, no, it's a doc. It's not a documentary, but it's based on a on an actual event where um, a South American. I'm blanking on the the details here, but anyway, the no, point I is, heard anything about it? It took it took place. Um, it, it's based on events that took place in the '80s about a referendum where they voted out a dictator in a South American country, and I wish I could remember all the details on it. The point is, it was shot. Like on video, on videotape, which I think like two years ago because of the the time of it. And at first you're watching it and I got it on – I watched it on Blu-ray. But you're watching it and thinking, man, this is bizarre seeing it like this. But, you know, it, it really brought you into the moment. It felt like you were living in that time. I would like to see more of that kind of experimentation. Like, well, you know, let's just shoot on whatever format because it fits what we're talking about and not you know, just – that's one thing.
0: I talked earlier in our movie section about Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie, Inherent Vice – uh, maybe disappointing me in that it didn't blow me away like all of his mm-hmm. other mo- movies but I will say I loved the way the movie looked it looked like it was shot in the 70s mm-hmm. on film they they definitely shot it on film but they they took advantage of that and they used it in a way to make it to give it this very I think Ellswood, uh was the DP they give it this very like 70s film look mm-hmm. that was w- way cooler than any other you know 70s retro thing people have gone for um, so yeah uh, you know so okay so the last tech thing I want to talk about because in this this dovetails into this kind of conversation in, in, as far as the importance of seeing stuff natively or the way the the director in the case of film or producer in the case of television intended you to see it so you know HBO announced that the wire was going to be released I think it's the day after Christmas or something in HD. Uh, now this is a show that was produced around 2000 2001 something like that it lasted a few years and they shot it. 16 by 9 on film but it was always planned and always cropped four by three and it was only finished in standard def so what they did was they went back to the film and they just opened the mat up you know so that you get all the stuff on the left and right um and then the producer heard that they were doing this apparently they didn't even mention it to him and he's like wait i want to see this so they went and looked and sure enough because it was never planned for that they had stuff like you could see the sound guy over on the left side. Of the screen. Yeah. yeah, you know. So they went through and and they painted that out. So they 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 fixed up stuff like that. Uh, and then occasionally, uh, it would make there were a few shots where the composition was just too weird. Like it was too far away, and it was supposed to be up close. You know. So then they just they cropped and blew it up and stuff like that. And they did the best they could. You know. And the producer says, I'm I'm content with it. And I recognize I don't like it as much as the four x three, but I recognize that. There are a lot of people that are never going to watch the show unless they can see it, you know, in HD, modern. Now, apparently HBO didn't even consider doing what Star Trek The Next Generation did, uh, which was to make it in HD, but pillar boxed, you know, black bars on the left and right to keep the 4 by 3 aspect ratio. Uh, Star Trek did the same. You know, they, they were shooting uh, on, on film with a technically a widescreen ratio. But again, it was always intended to be cropped. The difference is, you know, The Wire, uh, they were shooting on location in, I don't know, whatever, Philadelphia streets or something, um, and there's just more street. It's an altered composition. It doesn't have the same feeling of being as close to the to the subjects, uh, but it's just adding more street for a lot of shots, metaphorically, right? Uh, as opposed to Star Trek Next Generation, where if they let you see the rest of the image, it's like there's no more bridge there.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so Star Trek... At least with modern technology, Star Trek kind of had no choice. Um, but it it makes me think now that we've we're you know nearing the end of next gen and seeing it all this time. Do you think this was the right decision, uh, keeping it four by three? Do you think that has held it back as far as its success and sales and things? No. And if so. Does that also then contribute to why we're not getting DS9 and Voyager
3: anytime soon in HD? No. I I, I think – well, I think it's the right decision from, I mean, my preference. I want to see it like it originally was. Talking about from a marketing standpoint and from what people want to see, I, I, I don't – I. I have trouble. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just ignorant, but I have trouble buying that. People that will go out and buy the Blu-ray sets of this are people are the same people that would get like, "What's the deal? Why doesn't it fill up my TV?" And I mean, some will, but I don't think that's that that demographic is the same. You know? Well, the argument is, are those
0: are there people that chose not to buy the Blu-ray because it was 4 by 3, Well or there's, there's aren't, aren't going to watch it on as it's broadcasting HD on television when they see that
3: it's 4 by 3? There'll be some, but I don't think it's it's a majority. No, and and I don't I don't think it has anything to do with uh, DS9 and Voyager. No announcements um, coming on on their going to HD. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I when you you as you were describing that, what what entered my mind was how funny it is we're talking about this when the story used to be you know we see we see uh movies on four by three televisions and then at some point someone decided you know let's this isn't right and you've got companies like criterion coming out and letterboxing for the first time and seeing how things should be on a tv and things like that and now it's almost like we're flipping it around in a sense you know Mm -hmm. it's like we have sixteen nine televisions and you know um i don't know i mean as we mentioned on some of these other cases a, a good majority of the population doesn't get the doesn't understand these things and so it's kind of a moot point so it's kind of like you have to kind of con- contextualize it in terms of is it marketing for the masses or is it the proper thing to do in terms let of me artistic ask standard yeah
0: let me ask you this what if they had said before putting out next gen they'd said okay we're going to have to we we need to le- release next gen 16 by 9 uh, and since there's no picture over there, and we don't have the amazing computers it would take to like simulate extending this set and make it look perfect, um, we're going to have to like blow up and crop a lot of these shots. And this, the resolution is still going to be beautiful because it's film and it has a much greater resolution than HD. So we've got plenty of room to make it fill up 699, by 9. But we're going to be massively altering the composition of all these shots. We're going to be chopping off a lot of bits of people's heads and things. But you're going to get it in HD. And if we do that with next gen we promised to do the same thing with DS9 and Voyager. If that was the only way we could have them, would you take DS9 and Voyager in some kind of weird cropped 16
3: by 9 thing just so that we could have it in HD? I know how
0: I feel about this, but I'm curious what you guys think. I would
3: be very disappointed in that. I mean, I can't say I wouldn't buy it at all. I'm not sure about that. That makes me, you know, I, I don't know, but I'd be very disappointed in that. But I also know that... Uh, if I, if I were to buy it, it's because I'm in that upper percentile of fandom, you know, of, of Trek and you go, oh, you got to have what's out there in terms of the media available of the thing. But yeah, I'd be very disappointed in such a decision to crop, to crop things out of it and mess up the, uh, the framing and so forth. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think I would almost rather not get it than get it messed up. Mm. You know, I'd probably be okay with, uh, uh, especially later DS9 and most of Voyager, um, you know, so much of our effects work is all digital. And we have to redo that from scratch because there's not, like, next-gen with models. Mm -hmm. And since we're going to be redoing that stuff from scratch, we're going to just go ahead and fill up to 16 by 9. So Mm -hmm. there will be, like, a varying aspect ratio. I'd probably be okay with that. Yeah, yeah. I also have thought I would. I think I mentioned this before. I would have been okay with them shrinking down the size of the credits and text on next gen, Mm -hmm. keeping exactly like they are, but just smaller. So they they're a little bit smaller in the center of the screen. So that if some guy that really wants to could, you know, he could blow the thing up to sixteen by nine just with his TV. Not, you know, don't make the Blu-rays that way. But just let his TV blow it up and fill up his screen without chopping off the text. I would have been okay with that because that would have been a very minor change, just having the text a little bit smaller.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: See, um, I yeah, I I kind of wish they when I because I just got the the seventh season of the Blu-rays. Um, I was like I thought they kind of at least could have redone the opening.
3: Hmm.
2: And sixteen by nine. I mean, I thought that was something they could have just like completely redone. But I I realized that would have been well, that was taking away from
0: their. That was a model of the of the Enterprise D. There wasn't yeah. any more you know to use.
3: I mean, they probably pretty easily could have could have pretty easily just added more stars <laughs> you know sure yeah but yeah, well, i mean, I, I mean they, they
2: could have just redone the whole thing they could have redone the whole thing digitally even i mean i'm just saying you know sure i'm not that was just a thought that went might i'm not yeah. saying they should have done that but i'm like you know this would have been kind of easy all you got to do it is once and then you're just re-rolling mm. you're just using it for every episode i thought it was yeah. kind of like you know the menu sequence you know that's yeah
0: exactly yeah <clears throat> all right uh Alright, folks, we've got two more brief sections we're going to discuss, but first, um, we've got Adam's interview that he did with Marina Seardes a few months back. Anything you want to set up on this, Adam?
2: Um, No, it's pretty self-explanatory. It was a lot of fun. She's a really nice person, really cool to talk to, so it was really easy to do.
0: Okay, without further ado, here's that interview.
2: (laughs) So you've been doing these conventions for many years now. Um, what still brings you out to these? What I mean, what do you get out of coming out here and interacting with the fans?
5: That's exactly what I get. I get, I interact with the fans. You know, there are very few shows and very few opportunities when you're in show business to actually meet your fans. And I pretty much truly believe that it's because of these people who turned their TV sets on for seven years and then paid money to go see our movies. That I have all the blessings in my life that I do. So it's my opportunity to thank them for supporting us. They're the most Star Trek fans are the most loyal fans in the history of show business. And it's just my it's just my chance to say thank you. Thank you for being there. And thank you for keeping us on the air. And thank you for my house and thank you for my car and thank you for the clothes I'm wearing. Because really I owe everything to them.
2: Is it um I mean, it's been about 20 years since the show ended. It's been about 10 years since you guys have done a movie. I mean, does it surprise you or that, you know, there's
5: still such this fan power to come out to see you guys and talk to you? I'm amazed there's anyone left on the planet who doesn't have my autograph, actually, and still wants it, you know. Um, It is amazing because uh, it's kind of like I'm friends with the band Styx, right? And when I go to see Styx play, I'm always amazed that, the tiny kids in the in the audience know the know words to the songs from the 80s, you know? And it's the same kind of thing with Star Trek, because what we're getting now are the families, like two or three generations of families, and the grandparents watched the original show, the parents watched TNG, and then they turned their kids on to TNG. And so it's like, they're like the Borg, they regenerate. The fans keep regenerating um, because of the, you know them having kids. And we hear so much that this was family time. This was one of the only shows on TV that all the family could sit and enjoy together. And that humbles us the most, especially when the parents have maybe passed and they say, you know, this brings back such great memories for me. Thank you so much.
2: Um, well, speaking of family, I mean, um, the cast that you got, you guys seem to be really close. And you guys come out here, you see each other probably at least a couple times a year. Um, can you talk about all these years about, you know, everybody and how it's kind of a family? And
5: You're assuming we only see each other a couple of times a year? Well, I'm
2: thinking, well, I mean, hopefully more.
5: Well, we're best friends still. We're probably the only show ever in the history of Hollywood that 27 years later, we're all still best friends. So we see each other all the time. Um, we hang out and uh, we try and get together as much as possible. Maybe not the whole seven of us all at once, because Patrick you know, tends to be in England or New York. But the rest of us who live in Los Angeles, we're, you know, we're, we're the best buds. So like you hang out with your buds, we hang out with our buds.
2: That's amazing. Um, let's talk about, what was it like to play Counselor Troy? Because um, I enjoyed kind of the later years when they, cut, they they let you kind of branch out and do different things. Um, first thing that comes to the top of my head is like Fistful of data. Is when you got to go out and play kind of an outlaw. Can you talk about the character and how she evolved a little bit?
5: Well, the biggest challenge to playing Counselor Troy was keeping Marina out of her. Because I am the opposite of her. She's sweet and non-judgmental and kind. And I'm the loud, obnoxious one of the cast. Ask any of them. Couple of drinks in me and I'll pick a fight with anybody. So um, that was the biggest challenge because I knew that she was nothing like me. The only reason they got, they cast me was because I was so nervous the real Marina didn't come through. Um, but But yeah, it was trying to make her interesting because a lot of her lines were repetitive. And actually, to be honest, in the first couple of seasons, Not the, no, the first season. They really didn't know what to do with her. They'd created this character who could sense people's feelings, and then they would go, oh, well, wait a minute. We can't have her in the scene because she'll know what's going on, and then we don't have a story. So it wasn't until they actually figured out, oh, wait a second, she's actually the ship's psychologist as well. She can have an office. And then, um, just serendipitously, I was the only girl left on the show at the end of the first season. I mean, not serendipitous for them, but for me. Um, and so suddenly I became all things to all men and my part grew exponentially.
2: You probably had the most uniforms out of all the, um, all the, the cast. But I really enjoyed how the character evolved over the seven years. I mean, you know, like you said, you kind of started out in the first season, but they weren't quite sure what to do with you. And by the seventh season, you're in a command uniform. And obviously in the first movie, you're, you're taking command and those sort of things. So it was very enjoyable.
5: Thank you for not mentioning that I crashed the ship. Did you crash? That
2: didn't happen. <laughs> That didn't happen. I think it. I think it was that uh, that guy over there. He was in command. You know,
5: yeah. I, that's what. I, you know, that was what really upset. Actually, upset me because I thought we've been doing this for so long, and then as soon as the girl gets to drive, she crashes the ship. You know, I was. I was a bit miffed about that.
2: I kind of noticed that um, when when Frank's was in command, all, all hell broke loose. So I mean, I I, th- I would blame him. I, he was in command. That was his. He was his bad.
5: Well, you know what, Jonathan is a force of nature, so uh, we can blame him. He can take it. He can take it.
2: <laughs> So, um, the future of Star Trek, how do you feel about, you know, the direction that it's going and would you like to see a new series? And I had a kind of a fan question, Um, if they ever recast the next-gen cast like they did with the original series, did you have anybody in mind
5: that... I do, actually. If they reboot TNG, I think Mila Kunis would make a great Counselor Troy.
2: Absolutely, I like that very much.
5: Yeah, I know I've given this some thought, yeah. Because it's definitely not going to be me because i'm way too old now uh, oh they could cgi me younger i wouldn't be averse to that um, but uh, i love you know i think like everything you you move with the time so you have to move forward and the way that the business has gone now is way more to the action adventure genre that's i mean when we started uh, sci-fi was alternative entertainment 27 years on sci-fi is the main number one box office entertainment. I'm gonna pat ourselves on the back here and say I think TNG had something to do with that because it appealed to so many different walks of life and ages and everything um, so I like the new movies I really actually I really like the new movies um, but then they're, they're not the Star Trek that I did. It's a yeah. It's a new. It's a reboot, and that's absolutely fine. And what I really like about it is that it brought a whole new audience to the sh- to Star Trek that we, that we never had before. It keeps it, it keeps it alive, and you know, as long as it's alive, it's good for everybody. So um, God bless JJ. You know, uh, he's he did a great job. Let's see what he does over at Star Wars now. And um, you know, they're, and they're great kids and they're great actors. You know. It's a great cast, so I'm thrilled.
2: I was thinking you know, if they did a Star Trek television show now, the way they do shows are so different now, I mean, they would probably only do like maybe 10 or 15 episodes, I'd have it all, where you guys were doing 25. 26. It's like you're working yeah. So probably 15, 16 hour days. Like. That was
5: a short day. A 15 or 16 hour day was a short day, yeah. Because people think, well, you start shooting at seven and then you'll shoot through till nine or 10 o'clock, yeah. But I was in makeup two hours before that. So I was getting up at four thirty in the morning. Yeah, it's hard to look glamorous at four thirty in the morning. I'm
2: sure, probably had to go to bed at like six o'clock. Yeah, morning. I used to
5: go to bed at like eight o'clock <laughs> at
2: night. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for letting us thank talk you. to you. It was a great, great pleasure. Thank you,
0: Jason. Awesome. And we're back. Thank you, Adam, for that wonderful interview. Uh, so two sections left. Um, these are going to be. Uh, listener-submitted topics. Uh, Frequent uh, listener and uh, emailer, Benji, submitted a question to us that I thought was a great question. Uh, Thank you very much, Benji, for sending this in. He asked, he would like to know what podcasts we listen to. Obviously, our listeners listen to us. So what podcasts do we listen to? Uh, Steve, I know you listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't know, Adam, if you do. Um, but, uh, uh, Steve, what, what podcast do you, well,
3: I've listened to a variety of different ones over time and some have kind of come and gone. Um, I used to listen to a couple of, uh, soccer podcasts to kind of keep up with highlights and news going on. And, and, uh, I've kind of have dropped that in favor of, uh, my- for our
0: international listeners. That's, that's football. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah,
3: yes. And, uh, um, I now watch a number of – like a variety of highlight kind of shows that I record or check out online or whatever in lieu of that. I do consistently listen to a baseball – ESPN's Baseball Tonight podcast, which goes every – it's every weekday during the baseball season. But during this time of year, it's going to be over a couple of weeks. You know, they touch base and stuff because I'm, I'm into baseball and soccer is pretty much my thing. Yeah. Um, I do listen to this American life, uh, Brian, you hooked me on that a couple of years ago. Um, so I listened to that consistently. And, and then I did, I did listen to, started listening to a serial, which has become a huge thing, you know, a spinoff of this American life. And, uh, actually just, you know, as we're recording this tomorrow is the last episode of their first season, quote unquote, or whatever of uh, serial, which I think that's going to be a big thing. And, uh, so that's pretty much the ones I consistently listen to, or a, a couple of sports highlight things in this American Life and Serial.
2: Uh, Adam, do you uh, listen to podcasts? Uh, no. I <laughs> know. I do a podcast, but I don't listen to any. No, I just, um, I've just never really gotten into them. I've, I mean, I have listened to a few here and there. It's just um, time and then I forget about it. and then. Have you guys ever listened to our podcast? <laughs> I've listened to a few of them. A little yeah.
3: bit. Yeah. yeah,
0: I used to, you know, I, um, it's harder to find the time, um, but I used to I, I've commented how uh, listening to our podcast was is because it's fun for me because so much of the time I'm trying to keep the conversation going. And I'm when you guys are speaking, I'll be looking at my notes to, so that we don't have any dead air. Right. You know, that's kind of what my job is, is, is as, as You're the driver as host. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is to keep that going. So some of the times I will miss. I I hate to say this, and I've gotten better. And I think the better you get, the less you do this. But occasionally, I will miss cool things that you guys say because I'll be, because I'll sense that we're about to finish a a topic up or something, and I want to make sure to have us, you know, the next thing ready. So I'll be going down my notes. And uh, when I've listened to our podcast, uh, that's what has struck me is, you know, um, uh, are the the eloquent. Uh, thoughtful comments that you guys make <laughs> that I sometimes totally, totally miss. Um, podcasts I listen to. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of like the movie guy and I have such strong opinions and thoughts about movies that I do not think I could listen to a movie podcast without like yelling at my, my car stereo every time I disagreed. So I don't listen to movie podcasts. But for other stuff like i like i do play occasional video games so i listen to a couple of different video game podcasts um i really like chris kohler he's a writer over on wired and they do a podcast um, game life um and then there's one other one i like uh, dlc which has two guys i really like Jeff and um and uh christian spicer um those are the two like gaming podcasts i listen to um and uh, yeah, I still listen to This American Life. I, it's funny. I've been listening to that show for so many years. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's the best podcast uh, for me. But I've listened to it for so many years that, you know, a lot of times i will be like, oh, we're going to replay an oldie mm-hmm. now. And it'll be like, yeah, I've heard this one. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. how many, you know, I've yeah. listened to it. Um, but I kind of come and, and and go, like, I'll go a couple months without listening to This American Life. And then I'll listen to, you know, two months worth in a week, that kind of thing. Uh, but Uh, to my shame i have not listened to serial i've downloaded all the episodes i just haven't started it yet and now that the last one's coming out maybe i'll finally get around to it but serial is obviously just based on it's the first podcast that seems to have really blown up and like people that don't listen to podcasts are listening to Mm -hmm. it so that's that's really good for all podcasters like us um you know uh, another show let's see there's Two more that I listen to regularly. Um, I like Jason Snell. He used to be for many years. He was the the editor at MacWorld, um, but like, he's like a freelancer now, totally. And he does a podcast called Upgrade. Uh, it's kind of a tech Apple sort of focused podcast that I that I enjoy. And then uh, uh, Rachel Maddow. Does a nightly program on MSNBC, and they put it up as a podcast every day. And I do not have cable, and I like Rachel Maddow, so I listen to her show as a podcast. And if we have any extremely uh, conservative listeners, they now don't like me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's, uh, that's 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 those the podcasts I listen to. Um, you know, and where do you? Okay, so Adam, you don't, but Steve, where do you listen to podcasts? Because for me, I find it's almost exclusively in my car i have a i have about a 25 minute each way commute so i'm in the car for a good 50 minutes a day on a normal on a normal day you know and then frequently in la if you're going anywhere to do anything you're in the car for an hour
3: yeah, usually um, the Car for me as well yeah um the difference between you and i is like um i have about the same commute but it's actually traveling about 20 miles versus probably five minutes <laughs> for you yeah yeah eight <laughs> miles I go, I go eight miles but yeah the car the car Right
2: Brian, the podcast that I have listened to, I listen to them in the kitchen when I'm cooking or doing something like that. That's cool.
4: Hi, Dom Nardi here. We've all heard that one of the biggest obstacles to bringing Trek back to TV is the cost. The cost of special effects, the actors, etc. One possible solution would be an animated show, which would give the writers much more creative
0: freedom and cost much less. CBS apparently did consider this option during the mid-2000s, but ultimately decided against it. So, what do you guys think? Would an animated show be capable of exploring the big philosophical issues that we've come to expect from Trek? Are there any interesting story possibilities that you'd like to see in an animated Trek show that just wouldn't have been possible on live-action TV? Thanks, and keep up the good work. Uh, Thanks for sending that in, Dominic. What are you guys' thoughts on... The current state of animation and uh, think about these more recent uh, Star Wars shows. What do you think an animated Trek show could be? Would you even want that?
3: Go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. Well, I, I think that there's a lot of potential for some interesting things with that. I would enjoy that uh, if done correctly. I don't think it'll happen. The reason I don't think it'll happen is because I, I still think there's a, a big disconnect um, at least in the United States between a, you know adults and cartoons. you know it's just seen as cartoons. you know I mean there's certainly a, a, a group of people that will watch animation and appreciate it as not just a medium for um, children. Uh, but it's, it's, they're going to, I suspect if, if Star Trek is revisited for TV in the next few years, the goal is going to be to reach a lot of people and to, and to, and to make all, and make some money and really hit it hard. And I don't think, um, I mean, I think it could happen. I think, I think it'd be interesting myself and there's a lot of potential to, like you said, explore the world, expand it. You can do things that you just flat couldn't do in live action, but, um, you know, I don't think it'll happen if, if a new series is created in the next few years.
0: Well, you know, we did have – like in the, the 70s animated Star Trek show, they did explore some of these, um, as Dominic said, big philosophical issues. Um, they did at least attempt to do that. Uh, the, the, what keeps that show from holding up now um, – is that it was just obviously made so cheaply. The budget is so low. You know, you've got half the voices done by the same guys and half the shots, there's no motion or they repeat the shots. And um, it makes it difficult to watch as an adult. I think that there would be a a place for it, you know, to kind of try to be both for adults and children. You know, my problem with Star Wars The Clone Wars, I think, had to do with, you know, yeah, one episode would be great and then another episode would be terrible. But also... (sighs) That show was not for kids. There eventually it definitely wasn't. Maybe it started that way, but there were some episodes of that show that were incredibly dark. No way I would let my you know, my three-year-old, of course not. But even if he was seven or eight, I wouldn't let him watch a lot of episodes of the Clone Wars. You know, Rebels seems like it's shooting for a you know, a younger audience. Um but I I I mean, you're right, I don't think it's gonna happen, but you know what they could do is if they did like some kind of a web series or something mm-hmm. you know i think they could do something like that because then they could do that a little bit more cheaply they wouldn't have the running time requirements and um, there wouldn't be that sense of this has to be for everybody and this is going to hold up the mantle for trek like a tv show would
3: mhm mhm yeah i can see that
0: uh, Caesar, what do you think about a, a animated Trek show?
3: Mm. Animation in general.
2: Did Did either of you guys see these Star Wars shows?
3: No, I didn't watch them. No.
2: I saw some of them. Um, it wouldn't be my first preference, but I mean, I wouldn't certainly wouldn't not watch it because it was animation i just don't think it's likely to go from you know spending more money on a movie and putting all the stuff that they put into into darkness and by all accounts the movie made money and was successful so i don't see them going from that pinnacle not i'm not trying to bash animation but i mean clearly it's a much more cost-effective medium and probably what you saw with star wars because the writing was inconsistent. So that would be my worry is like, okay, if you're going to go and do an animated series, what kind of, what are you going to put into it? Are you going to put in the quality writers that are going to be there day in and day out? Or is it just going to be a free flow of people coming in and going to write episodes? What is, I mean, what's your strategy there? What's your purpose? What's your arch, what's, what's your arc storyline? So uh, that's kind of what I would fear. And Anim- I'm not, I'm not trying not to dis animation, but it just kind of seems like, um, the same attention isn't put into it as say a, a live action mm-hmm. series or movie or that kind of thing.
0: Well, I would watch it. <laughs> yeah, I think no. I think, Let's I think face we're pretty clear. All of us would watch it, but <laughs> yeah, we would
2: all watch it. I'm not saying that. I'm just uh, it wouldn't be my wouldn't be wouldn't excite me that much if they well, I oh we're we we're, we're going to come out with an animated series and not another movie or not another live action show i would actually be kind of disappointed if that's, well, that's what announced. i'm saying
0: if, if they did it like as a web series you mm-hmm. know uh then they 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 they'd take all that pressure off them you know mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we give them a lot more leeway um okay so this is already going to be one of the longest podcasts in our history <laughs> maybe ever <laughs> maybe ever um i hope that you have been uh enjoying your time with us and uh, special treat, uh If you're still with us, um, that means you're just as crazy as we are. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you so much for sticking around. Um, uh, And again, we're going to be back soon uh, with our traditional show. Um, And we have one last special treat for you. Uh, As you guys should know by now, Steve has a band and he writes... Uh, and records music uh his band consists of him and his brother uh, Adam Embry who if you've been listening to us for a long time, you may recall he he was our recording engineer for a while on this podcast um and they have a i don't know what' you say like a spin off band,
3: yeah, we kind uh, of that just does Christmas music, right, of course, we have the solution, which was our usual duo group, electronic pop group, but we have kind of an alter ego group just for Christmas called. 1225 and of course that's the date it's like the word 12 the number two the word five um and we we made an album a few years ago and we've made a couple of singles and we just uh, released a new single a couple weeks ago
0: and that's what, anything else you want
3: to set up yeah it's called okay. it's called christmas selfie and uh yeah you can you i i'm glad we're able to uh, play it for you here at the end of this podcast and if you're interested you our website is 1225.com that's the word 12, the number to the word 5.com T-W-E-L-V-E 2-F-I-V-E dot com and there are links there to iTunes and information about us and so forth so
0: cool so we're going to play that, that that's their new uh, single in its entirety uh, here at the end of our show so uh, until next time thank you so much for spending eight years with us on this podcast <laughs> uh, it has been fun And, uh, God willing, we'll spend another three hours talking about whatever we want a year from now. But next time we're on this show, it's going to be the next three episodes of Next Gen. So, till next time, take it easy.
2: Bye, guys.
3: Happy holidays. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. Show my new Santa hat Going to take it a Christmas selfie Turn myself around
5: Get my tree in the background This is the way